Bashar, these picks out the kettle out. Lovely turn. What a finish. That is pure quality. Charles de Ketelaar opens the scoring and gets a round of applause from his coach. Hello, you knuckleheads, and welcome back to another episode of Serie A Spotlight. This is episode 113. We're your host, Jake. And Matt. Covering all the action of match day 24 in Serie A. An absolute shootout it was, huh? match day 24. A lot of goals. We say a 5-1, a 4-1, a 3-1, a 4-2, a 4-0, another 3-1. And a lot of bangers, man. So many good goals, man. We're going to have to bring the poll back. Um, the last few have been so clear, the goal of the week, yeah. the last few episodes that I haven't even included the poll, to be honest. Um, but this week, we're going to have to do it for sure, because there was Charles de Catelares took the cake, yeah. right? And that control and shot immediately without the ball even touching the ground. Control with the right incredible. volley on the left. Mm. Malinowski's goal was a rocket. Yeah. Trademark Malinowski finish. Yeah, the Orsolini's second goal, which was amazing. Ronaldo-esque placed yeah. as well into the first goal corner. was nice as well. That's true. Um, Gaetano, after Lovumbo flicked the ball towards him, and he just curled it in top bins. Yeah. Coop Miners with a perfectly placed free kick. El Sharawi with... What looked to be a mishit shot, I'm not sure. Yes, definitely an unorthodox finish. Um, I don't know, the weather conditions were so bad that we'll give it to him. Um, that was a juicy goal. That yeah. was smacked off both posts and into the back mm-hmm. of the net. Theo Hernandez's goal was very good, running in, obviously, a trademark Theo Hernandez run. And Leao having enough um, vision and awareness to not play it to Giroud on the wing. Um, who kind of decoyed down the wing, but mm. played it straight through to Theo, um, setting yeah. him up 1v1 versus the goalkeeper. And then my country, Larry, who um, chopped inside and left Pirala on the floor, basically broke his ankles um, yeah. and had plenty of time to finish and made no mistakes over there. I don't know if we're missing anyone. I don't think so. Those were the, the great goals. I know Mazzitelli scored a free kick, but it was kind of an awkward one, right? Yeah, that, that deflected. Yeah, yeah. That deflected. Um, we had a, a huge upset. As well, um, uh, with Juve losing last night. This this is why we don't record Sunday night, man. Yeah. Th- this is why we wait for all the games to take place before we record. Because that was, that's an upset, bro. Now Milan find themselves just one point behind Juve. Um, Inter increased their gap to seven points, including the game in hand, obviously. So yeah, what an amazing week of football. Yeah. Um. Truly amazing. I really enjoyed it. Um, by the way, not recording on Sundays makes perfect sense as well because these are match day recaps and the match day needs to finish, of course, until we do a recap. Um, but the Serie A schedule has made it quite complicated for us as tomorrow there is a match between Bologna and Fiorentina that was meant to be played in match day 21. We'll be, of course, informing you what happened in that game in the next episode. Um, speaking of, though, we do have a few midweek fixtures, of course, Europe. European football is back. Yep. Um, Lazio Bayern is on tomorrow at 9 o'clock. Bologna Fiorentina, the Serie A one's on at 7. So that's a nice warm-up nice. if you don't have any Valentine's Day plans, which, um, uh, trust me, Matthew most definitely has because he spent about 30 minutes on the phone <laughs> <laughs> <But laughs> trying to find a restaurant before this episode. But it's fucking fine because for some weird reason, Key feels like pub food, man. She feels like pub chicken food. wigs. So we're going to a pub. There we go. And I booked the table for 8.45. Which is just in time for a Champions League, man. That's, that's perfect. The game's going to be on, bro. You're going to be fucking looking over her shoulder. She's going to mm. be like, hey, my eyes are up here. <laughs> on Thursday, there is Feyenoord against Roma at 6.45. And then Milan against Rennes. 
Ren, Ron. Ron. They're on like a fucking eight match unbeaten streak, man. That's going to be a tough one. Huh? So are Milan, to be fair. Yes. Um, and that's on at nine o'clock, of course. And then next week on Tuesday, there's Inter Atletico at nine o'clock. And then Wednesday, Napoli Barcelona at nine o'clock as well. Yeah. Keep in mind that uh, Fiorentina aren't playing in the Conference League yet because they've automatically progressed to the next stage, as well as Atalanta um, in the Europa League for topping their group. Just to further prove what a fantastic season Atalanta are having this year, man. Yeah, um, they're doing superbly. And now with El Bilal back, that's a completely new avenue. With Lukman back from Afghan as well and the CDK on form. But I think Skamaka is going to be the butt of the... He's going to get the worst of it. They see, are. I think he'll see the light of day. They're stacked. <laughs> they're so up stacked. Up front now, man. Yeah. CDK, Miranchuk, um, Skamaka, El Bilal, Lukman, now mm-hmm. that he's back mm-hmm. as well. So, aha, it's, it's going to be very competitive and, you know, thankfully they've got a coach that loves to rotate and he excels at, at rotating. Mm, I think what he'll do is he'll give them 23.5 minutes each, you know, <laughs> um, exactly, you know, just use up all his fucking slots on, on replacing the strikers, you know. Yeah. That, that's so Gasparini. So uh, thank you very much to the gentlemen and gentlewoman who make this show happen. Um, thank you, Alan, Andrew, Andy, Anthony, Tim. Campbell, Sluge McNoodle, Lena, David, Kyle, Luca, Matthias, Mint, Michael, Ed, and Tonna. Thank you very much, guys. Um, these, of course, for those of you who do not know, are our patrons. Um, they keep the show going. They donate a small monthly fee to keep the show on the road. And you can do the same. Um, it's just $3.99. The link's in our bio. And you will be added to our WhatsApp group where we pretty much... Um, don't stop talking. <laughs> yeah. And if you're not quite there yet and you're just discovering us, do check us out on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. Drop us a follow. Drop us a rating wherever you're listening. And yeah, welcome to the family. Um, but without further ado, here comes the rundown of the matches which are going to be discussed today. Um, so we'll start things off with the biggest match of the week, the most exciting match of the week, especially since... Roma are looking so lively, so attacking under the Rossi, it's Roma 2, Inter 4, horrible weather, it was like a a hailstorm the entire time, Mm. conditions made it very difficult for both teams, but Inter prevailed and they showed us that they're a step above everyone else. Milan 1, Napoli 0, fantastic performance by Milan, I didn't think Napoli were too bad in this game, Um, they created a few decent chances, but Milan did enough to hold on over there, even though there was a late shock. Juventus nil, Udinese one. Udinese, they don't win much, but not, they've now beaten Juve away from home and they've beaten Milan away from home. Yeah. And I believe they only have three or four wins this season. So. Um, yeah, two away wins and they're against Milan and Juve. That's fucking crazy, man. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, Genoa one, Atalanta four, three magnificent left-footed goals in this game and... A debut goal for a certain El Bilal Touré. In case you guys don't remember, he is Atalanta's record signing after they signed him for 30 million last summer. Cagliari 1, Lazio 3 is the other game that we're going to be covering. Good performance there by Lazio. Fiorentina 5, Frosinone 1. Everyone was getting on the score sheet for Fiorentina, even Barak and Jorko Ekone, guys. Wow, stay tuned for that one. Bologna 4, Lecce 0. Bologna are back again at Doppietta by Orsolini. Some magnificent goals in this game as well. Salernitana 1, Empoli 3. Empoli absolutely outclassed Salernitana in this game, so much so that Pippo Anzaghi got sacked after failing to beat one of the only teams that you'd think 
Salernitana could potentially do something against. Sassuolo 1, Torino 1. If you see Sassuolo and Torino next to each other, how do you not bet on this scoreline? 1-1 one, one between yeah. the two sides. And Monza nil, Verona nil, because if there's a nil-nil game, it's always at the end because we are, we're always over time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that, I think, is a, a must-do for us, to be honest, because we we blab on for so long, bro, yeah. about these games. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like we don't talk about games when we're not recording, man. Yeah, um, which we do to, uh, to, our, to our girlfriend's demise. But yeah, yeah. Uh, we can start off with Romante. I think that was the the most um, you know the most noteworthy game of yeah. the lot, uh, the biggest game, um, the first real challenge for De Rossi is what they were hailing this one after he went flawless three out of three against um, minnow sides, to be honest in Syria. Um, but things were quite complicated, as as you alluded to before, bro. There was a torrential storm this game, and I think it did actually contribute to the high number of goals, um, as the score was Inter four, Roma two. This did not seem to phase De Rossi though, as he was stood there, hands in his pocket, in the storm. No raincoat, no beanie, no nothing, no jacket. Like he was just stood there, bro, in his suit, drenched, and he looked totally unfazed. Yeah. By it. Yeah, so that's, that's the, what you get with a manager like Deros, you know? Yeah. He's only recently, I guess, you could say recently retired, so I guess he loves to feel part of the squad. Yeah, but wear a tracksuit, man. Do yourself <laughs> a favor. If you're going to stand there in the rain, don't wear a suit. Like, that must have been so uncomfortable. I can't even imagine the collar around his neck drenched, man. Mm. You know, Segway number one of this episode. If you were a manager, what would you wear? If I were a manager... Okay, so it depends, right? Mm. If I'm managing Milan, Juventus, Inter, I'm gonna wear a nice suit, you know. Mm. I'm gonna wear a lovely suit, uh, the the type that like people won't even watch the game; they're just looking at me. Yeah. Um, if I'm managing Salernitana, it's a fucking tracksuit zipped up to the top, bro. I'm gonna be out there barking. I agree, bro. <laughs> You know, barking up the boys. I agree. In summer, see I'd me like, press. In summer, I'd like to have you know a t-shirt, maybe tucked in into nice pants yeah. a little bit. But if it's rainy, you know the Arsene Wenger coat, ah, the yes. really long one, bro, the with one, the padding. Yeah, that looks like a corpse should be yeah. inside. That's what that's what I'd wear. The body bag. <laughs> Anyway, that was segue number one. Yes, so as for the lineups, um, for Roma, it was a 4-3-3 formation with Rui Patricio on goal, Rick Karsdorp on the right, and the new boy Angelino on the left, with Mancini and Huisen as the centre-back partnership. It was Brian Cristante, Paredes and Pellegrini playing as the midfield three, with Dybala on the right, El Sharawi on the left, and Lukaku up front. <clears throat> up front! <laughs> now, for Inter, it was Bastoni, Alcerbi and Pavard at the back, of course, with Jan Sommer in goal, Di Marco and Darmian out on the flanks, with Mikitarian, Chalanoglu and Barella in the middle, and a striking partnership of Lautaro Martinez and Marcus Thuram. Now, Rome actually came out the aggressors this game. There was El Sharawi, I called Sommer into action with a brilliant save just 50 seconds in, and that actually was a brilliant save because it was looping over mm-hmm. Sommer, who kind of had to jump up in the air and punch it over for a for a yeah. corner. However, it was in the 17th minute when Lukaku's headed clearance fell straight to Acerbi, who looped the ball over Rui Patricio and in with his head. Um, a good goal for Acerbi, who really enjoyed that um, and went on to flip off the fans, by the way. Yeah, later absolutely. On Fucking right, rightly so, brother. The, the chants they were singing to him were disgusting, absolutely disgusting, about him having testicular cancer and how they wanted him to die. Wow. Kind of thing. So, yeah, I so, mean, yeah. 
yeah you know you get you give what you get and if you can't get what you give then don't give you know what i'm saying yeah <laughs> take take that raw take that fucker. right yeah yeah um <laughs> just one thing i want to say about <laughs> just one thing i want to say about this goal is i thought now i'm no expert i'm no genius but i i, I think this was offside man yeah because, because, of the, because there was yeah. thuram i believe Inter- like in an offside position, I didn't say he wasn't interfering with play, but he made contact with the goalkeeper. He was touching the keeper. I'm yes. surprised there wasn't that much of of a reaction. I might have it completely wrong, but I but I truly think that that was offside. I man. think we've truly been desensitized, bro. Wait till we get to the Juve game, Madonna. bro. What? The, honestly, <laughs> the Udinese goalkeeper. I'm forgetting his name right now. Is it um, Okoye? Okoye, yes, the 24 year old um, Nigerian. Spent an entire game punching Milik in the face. <laughs> I'm not even. It's okay, true. he did it twice. He did it's it twice true. when it was the exact same penalty that was mm-hmm. given against Inter. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is what we mean when we scream for uh, consistency. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and there was also a goal that's allowed for Juve that I still till today don't know what happened. But yeah, anyway, yeah. let's we'll, stick we'll to this to game it. for now. In the 28th minute, Pellegrini picked out Mancini with a delicious free kick and the Italian psychopath headed it in <laughs> and went off celebrating. And then in the 44th minute, Captain Pellegrini struck again. It seems that he's back. He picked out El Sharawi with another fantastic pass. Um, El Farone struck the ball weirdly. Um, kind of like, it looked like he should have gone for the far post, uh-huh. but he went for the near post and even the the technique he opted for was a far post technique. You yeah. know what I mean? Like... His body language screamed far post, but he got somewhere off guard and yeah. it hit off the near post, into the far post, and into the back of the net. It was yeah. actually quite a cool goal. So that was it for the first half. And in the second half, Inter came out with a vengeance. In the 49th minute, Thuram burst towards the far post and latched onto Darmian's pass to turn it in. And in the 56th minute, Thuram's reign of terror continued. The French son of a legend charged towards the near post, forcing Angelino to turn the ball into his own net. Of course, in the 92nd minute, there was an insurance goal. Uh, this was a counter-attack with no one really defending for Roma. You could see the players running back, but it was kind of like more of a formality than actually running with any desire to win yeah. the ball back. Um, Arnautovic played the ball to Bastoni, 1v1 of a, on a counter. You can see um, Alexis Sanchez really wanted that, but Bastoni, of course, claimed it and put the ball into the back of the net. Yeah, yeah. So, bro... This was the first real test for the Rossi, right? You could, In, you could say that because yeah. people have been saying that. I, I, I don't think it's actually ah, I don't think not it's, the first real test. Yeah, but mm. but the thing is, Mourinho would have probably won those three games. Let's not get it twisted. The three relegation side games, Mourinho would have won those. Maybe not in the same manner yeah. that Roma won them, but yeah. I think he would have he would have definitely um, gone Perhaps. got them over the line. You know. Perhaps. Um, so let's assume that um, this was the game where the Rossi had to show that this Roma have something different to offer. Mm-hmm. Did he pass the test in your opinion? So in my opinion, yes. Um, so to get two goals against Inter in the first half, now keep in mind, take everything I say with a pinch of salt because of the terrible conditions um, that, that, that took place in the game. Because from one side, you've got that they looked really really good once again going forward and testing Inter's back line which is a very tough line to penetrate Mm -hmm. and they managed to put themselves ahead in the first half so they really really took the game to Inter and then the second half Roma have shown us a a negative side throughout the rusty spell 
it's their defense. They can't hold up defensively the same way they did under Mourinho because mm. they're looser as a team. They're not so tight as 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 they were. Um which subsequently allows them to concede more goals. Um, that at the same time, you could also blame the conditions. So you could blame the conditions that they scored two goals. You could also blame the conditions that they conceded four. Mm. I think if for his first, let's call it, test, he goes out there and puts two past in turn in the first half and they look the way that they did because they looked really, really good mm. in this game. Mm. Um, I think he passed the test, personally. Uh-huh. Um Yes, uh, and originally I I thought the same thing. In fact, originally I wrote first test for the Rossi past and like just past. Now mm-hmm. I added a question mark because, granted, they started well, they played very well, they attacked Inter, they were fearless. The conditions were against them, mm-hmm. but in the second half, they didn't go out prepared, man. I, I think I think they went out with the wrong approach. Thuram punished them. In the same way, running into the box, one at the far post, one in the near post, and getting onto onto the end of a of a cross from mm-hmm. from out wide, of course. Um, I think they should have tightened up. To be honest, I think they should have taken a play out of Mourinho's book and literally just tightened up and not committed so many men forward. Because the problem is Inter kind of hit them on the break for these two goals, yeah. and that's not what you expect to see when you're up to one, getting hit on the break twice to go fucking down. You know. Mm-hmm. So I think that it was it was a pretty good game for for Roma, pretty impressive showing for the Rossi. But I think as a as a test, I would say it was a failure. You you think it you think he failed? I think he failed. Yes, I think he he failed to get something out of a game where he was he put his team in a position to get something out of it. Perhaps it's harsh, but that's that's just the harsh. reality. It is harsh. Yeah, Milan lost five one to Inter. You know Milan have been is, losing 5-1 to Inter for, in, for Inter. two years now. <laughs> Inter are, exactly. That goes to show mm. how strong Inter are. Inter are absolutely But relentless. what do we always criticize about Milan playing against against Inter? How stubborn Pioli's approach is. But this is the Rossi's fourth Serie A game in charge for Roma. Yes, it's it's kind of basic. Know that, that if you um, take the lead, if, if you... You're entering the second half and you're ahead, then tighten up. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. make make the yeah. make the necessary changes. Yes, that's basic. And 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 to be honest, I'm quite disappointed that he didn't manage to fucking instruct his players to do so. Mm-hmm. And then there are also the conditions that you have to keep in mind. Perhaps they're not a team that are going to. They they are a very high pressing attacking team. Mm. And maybe they were looking to get a third And maybe had the conditions have been better They could have gotten that third But the way that things played out Inter, the better team, prevailed And they managed to put four past them I wouldn't say it's a failure I think you score two goals against Inter in the first half And you look the better team in the first half I would. I, it's harsh to call that a failure. You're I, I agree it's harsh, but, but it is a failure. He got zero points. Eh? I mean, he was in a position where he could have got one. Oh, yes, but that's not the... the if, if pass or fail is win or loss, then it's a very uh, bro, easy conversation in, in football, to have. unfortunately, that seems to be the case more often than not. Like, for example, Inzaghi. Mm. Inzaghi had Salernitana playing well against top teams. Playing mm. very well against top teams. Looking organized... And it was down to, to last-minute mistakes in, at the end of the games in extra time that actually led them to not getting any points. Mm-hmm. Um, one bad game against Empoli, 
and he's off. He's done. You know. Yeah. I mean, eventually, when they're gonna be, when when the Friedkins are gonna be thinking, should we renew the Rossi? Should we or should we go for someone else? This game is gonna be mm-hmm. looked at as a as a failure to maintain a lead. I think, or to get something out of a situation where where the coach had his team ahead. I don't. I'm know. just taking into account that it's Daniele De Rossi who lacks experience, and it's his fourth game in charge, and mm-hmm. it's against Inter, who are blowing everyone out of uh, the water. Yes, and and it's true when when you actually look at the man um, who's in charge in De Rossi, and you look at his CV, and you look at um, his managerial history, whatever. Obviously, for him, this was he, he overachieved. You know, mm-hmm. he should have never put two past Inter, put them in a winning position, and all that. But at the end of the day, you're managing Roma, and Roma yeah. are a fucking massive club, eh? Yeah. And they have certain expectations. They spend a certain amount. You know, the players are of a certain caliber, and the ownership expects a certain a certain standard. Eh? I don't know. It, it's true. It's harsh, of course, to call this a failure. Brother, for it was a torrential storm. <laughs> With fucking Barella, Chalanoglu, Mkhitaryan, Lautaro Martinez, Turam, DiMarco, all fucking charging at you. And you're a, you're a Serie A, essentially, a manage, from a managerial perspective, he's a Serie A virgin. <laughs> and there was a torrential storm. He has new boy, Angelino, um, on the left. Youngster, youngster Huisin, Karsdorp, who, okay, he's great, but he had been out for essentially the entire time Mourinho was there. It's harsh, bro. It is harsh, but, but of, of course it's harsh. But, but at the end of the day, offensive brand of perhaps football. this demonstrated his naivety, I think, or his inexperience. Because a, a, an experienced manager, you think, okay, granted, Mourinho would have probably never gone 2-1 two, two, up this game, right? Absolutely Definitely not, Definitely not the way they world. were playing. But you think if they had gone to one up, you think they would have fucking got nothing out of this game with Mourinho, under Mourinho. That's it. That's the difference, eh? That's the difference. <laughs> I don't know now. If you can't if have your cake and you eat it. You can't have your cake and eat it, exactly. Um, at least the football is exciting and he's way better than most of us thought he, w- mm. he would be. You know, and I he think has them playing very well. But the thing is... It's absolutely clear where they need to improve, mm. which is a great thing. That's you know, true. we can't put our finger on it, so so can he, that's for and sure. And Evan Indica is back from AFCON as well now, so they don't have to rely on Huisen, who has, to be honest, um, exceeded expectations. He's been very good. Um, but having Indica, of course, is a is a massive advantage for Roma. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and perhaps again, I've been harsh on De Rossi, and I would like to apologize to anyone I've I've potentially offended. But <laughs> but yeah, that's just my take. It on is it. harsh. Um, yeah. I I think that as as well. Getting so Lorenzo Pellegrini, right? Mm-hmm. The stubborn fucking Mourinho, uh-huh. honestly didn't play Pellegrini for an entire season and he's stuck with the most pragmatic midfield three mm-hmm. in the That's entire true. league. Just three disruptors, not a single fucking creator. And then a flat front two expecting mm-hmm. Dybala to create anything and yeah. everything. Right? De Rossi comes in. Slits, slits Madonna. Slots Pellegrini directly into this team. And what has he done, brother? Three games or four games, he has like three goals and three assists, mm. two assists against Inter. El Sharawi into the team. This guy, Mourinho, saying he didn't have options, puts El Sharawi on and he's one of their best players. All of a Absolutely. sudden, he is rediscovering mm. this team. And a- along the way, as this team is being rediscovered, there's going to be many, many, many a setback. Definitely they're going to have very disappointing losses after this game. I'm sure of it because this team is still figuring it out. You know, imagine mm-hmm. you're fucking Paredes or, or Cristante, you know? 
and you're used to Mourinho's system where you're always fucking okay now you press okay and, and i cover okay now i press and you cover that that's the only thing that is constantly going through your mind and now paredes is seeing the ball all the time he's mm. constantly with the ball at his feet you know what i mean it's a massive massive transition yeah. but one thing remains the same lukaku is shit on the big <laughs> stage all the fucking time every single time lukaku's Man, on the big stage that he's missed. fucking Shit. He tried to round the goalkeeper there. He tries to round him. Relax. Madonna. No. He he's cursed and these situations, man, in these big moment big moment situations. And he's like... mentally fragile. He's playing against Inter. Yeah, yeah, who, yeah. He he knows that they hate him, bro. They can't stand him. He's got all his former best friends. It doesn't there. fire him up. Him. It's he's not quite Jamie Vardy. You know what I no, mean in that aspect. No, like no, no. Jamie Vardy, if you boo him, he'll kill you. You know, mm-hmm. he'll he'll actually. Embarrass your football team yes. if, if you mock him as as a fan base. Um, some players hide, you know. Higuain was one of those, as, yeah. we, as we alluded to last episode. Yeah. Milan Juve. Yep, exactly. That Milan Juve game, bro, was. He the saw worst, Ronaldo and he lost his mind. The man. worst public meltdown I've ever seen in my life after he missed that penalty, man. I got the red card. <laughs> Fucking crying, whining. It was horrible to watch. Horrible. Um, but yeah. I, I also wanted to. Of course, praise Angelino, who scored an own goal. He was unlucky. I was kind of disappointed to see him going out shortly after scoring the own goal because I felt like it wasn't fair. The own goal, don't get it twisted, wasn't his fault. There was not much we could do over there. The the round would have, of course, turned it. I barely noticed shortly after. Same here. Yeah. Uh, but he played very well and it's nice to see that Roma have someone who can cross the ball and Angelino was someone who on European nights always struck me as a as a good player. So nice to see him in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, Lukaku was wasteful, as you alluded to. The ball was invisible. Yeah, right? I thought so. Yeah, I, thought I, so. I, I can't remember many moments where the ball had the ball or, or actually did anything with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, my, my memory fails me right now. I don't know if there's anything. Uh-huh, no, he wasn't. He wasn't yeah. too involved in this game. I Not mean, if you, if you look at him... Um, how many touches it even had? He had forty-six touches, um, which is okay, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, no key passes though. He had four crosses, none of them were accurate. Two long balls, one of them was accurate. He only won three duels out of eight. Mm-hmm. Which obviously he lost possession fifteen in, times as well. Well, this is up against in the games. Interior. In games like this, though, certain players stand up, right? If you look at the goal scorers, it says everything you need to know. You've got Acerbi, you've got Mancini. Grounds the okay, Shara, we got the goal, but then you have Thuram as well, Bastoni. These big fucking cold motherfuckers scored these. Thuram goals, is, man, is, you know? is, is, is the number one when exactly. it comes to those. every single big game Inter have had this season, the guy has scored. Yeah. Yeah. Against everyone, but against all the top seven teams that they faced, he scored. He's so prolific. And he forced an own goal here. And as he well. was actually known to be quite a wasteful player. And we did actually see him be quite wasteful this season as well, but uh, he's really fucking. Turned it up, man, on these yeah. big occasions. And this game, actually, Inzaghi rewarded him for him because he subbed off Lautaro instead of him. And usually he always subs yeah. off Thuram. So he let um, Thuram basically play. Not the entire game because he did get subbed off for Alexis Sanchez in the 87th. That might have been for a standing ovation. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, man, he got rewarded and the future is definitely bright for, mm. for Thuram. You know who I thought was brilliant in this game? And I think it went a little bit under the radar. Who? Henrik Mkhitaryan. Oh yeah. Um, I think he's often overlooked because he's probably the least sexy and 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 you know um, um, the, the the least marketable player, let's say in that in that inter team. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But I, I, I thought he was great, man. Even if you look at the statistics, he is just a very, very tidy and clean player with few mistakes in his pocket. Um, it's no wonder Inter are so good when they have someone in the midfield that just knows what he's doing, understands the assignment, and we often see him get criticized um, for being Inter starter at that age. We see Inter get criticized, rather. Um, but honestly, he really, really impresses me, Mkhitaryan. He's such a clean footballer, yeah, very he's tidy. A, he's got good technique. He's a good carrier of the ball. He goes on these little bursts that mm. he can still do at his age. Um, and he's very intelligent as well, so he can pick a man out um, or a pass that might not be the most um, obvious one to yeah. play. Um, Pavard had a very interesting strike at one point, skimmed the post, would have been a lovely goal. Mm-hmm. But yeah, bro, when it comes to this game, I thought that Inter deserved it. Um, as I as I mentioned earlier, Roma were slightly naive to not shut up shop after taking the lead. But of course, the conditions made it quite difficult for, for them to, <laughs> to do anything. Yeah. As, uh, also for Inter to come back into the game because mm-hmm. the, the storm didn't let up. It was. I'm surprised the game even went on. I don't hey. know how the ball passed the bounce test at the and beginning. How, how funny the, the weather in Malta. Um, while that game was on, there there was fifteen minutes of an absolute fucking hailstorm. hailstorm like, yeah. and we it looked like it was snowing. We never get snow here. Yeah. But yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, Inter are currently in first with sixty points. Of course, they extend their lead by seven points over Juventus with a game in hand. Um, while Roma are down in sixth with thirty eight points. Uh, four points off of the Champions League spot. Uh, but Atalanta do have a game in hand. Yeah. We had another massive game this weekend. It was Milan-Napoli, which has become a bit of a rivalry since mm. last season. Eh? Milan yeah. um, getting the better of, of Napoli on so many occasions last season when Napoli were absolutely demolishing anyone and everyone. And we saw Leao having an argument with Spalletti and Maldini getting involved. Culturally, this has become quite... Um, a heated affair mm-hmm. between these two teams. Milan were coming off a 3-2 away win against Fosinone, and Napoli were coming off a 2-1 home win against Verona. The previous encounter between these two games was one of the few games I woke up for in Australia. Milan were winning 2-0, and then the second half, when famously Giroud said we didn't know whether to attack or defend, mm-hmm. Napoli equalised, making it 2-2. Raspadori free kick, I remember. Yeah. yeah. Reinders was suspended in this match, so we saw Ben Asser stepping inside along Adli, uh, the first time we've seen these two start together. Um, obviously, I'm not going to go through all the injuries Milan have um, in their defense. However, Malik Chow um, is recovering and he's back in training. Um, Mario Rui sat out a ban and was replaced by Mazzocchi on the left-hand side. And Alex Muret had gastroenteritis. He had the gastric flu. Wow. So he couldn't play in this game. Replaced by Golini. Golini. Anguissa was back, Osimen was not because he was busy losing in the final. Um, Napoli were unbeaten here in Serie A since December. Listen to this, Jake. When do you think was the last time Napoli lost in the San Siro against Milan in Serie A? The last time Napoli lost in San Siro in Serie A. Um... I remember the comeback, but that was the one Calabria scored, and that was at the Maradona, I think, um, when Milan were 2 0 up. I would say, bro, I don't know, man, 2015? Almost, 2014. December 2014. So you're actually very, very close. You're a month away. Um, And they won their last three in a row. That that I remember. I believe they were all 1 0. That's quite an impressive statistic, huh? Right, man. Right. And then, like, interestingly, Milan trashed Napoli 4 0 last season. That was in the Maradona, bro. That's 
absolutely mental what these two teams do to each other. Um, Milan started with their 4-2-3-1 formation with Mike and goal on the back line of Calabria, Kier, Gabia and Theo. Um, double pivot of Ben Nasser and Adli, as I mentioned earlier, with Leao on the left, Pulisic on the right and Loftus-Cheek playing behind Giroud. Whilst it was a very interesting 3-4-1-1 formation for Napoli with Gollini in goal and the backline of Ostigard, Rahmani and Juan Jesus. Di Lorenzo playing out on the right, Mazzocchi on the left and a midfield three of Zielinski, Lobotka and Anguissa with Gvaratskelia in the free role playing behind Giovanni Simeone. Now, in the 10th minute, Simeone should have done better at the near post after Guevara skipped past Gabbia and squared it from the right-hand side, only for the Argentines' first-time attempt to stray wide. They were then punished in the 24th minute as Teo scored after a Leao assist. It was a trademark Milan goal. Teo picked out Giroud and darted forward off the ball. Giroud laid the ball off to Leao, who picked out the run of Teo with a very well-weighted pass. And Teo Hernandez surged through a gaping hole in Napoli's defence and beat Gollini at his near post. Just three minutes later, Leao cut inside and had a curling crack from distance, only to force a brilliant save out of Gollini. So me and Jake looked at each other and said, I thought we asked him to play to his strengths, but that was a fantastic <laughs> attempt by Rafa Leao, one of his better strikes. And, you know, after that, there were chances for both teams. Simeone had a good opportunity after Benasser gave the ball away. And Politano had his weekly threatening Tira Gira that flashed just wide of Mike's post. Um, Leao missed an opportunity after a great ball by Florenzi, um, which shows the frustration of Leao as he's still 15 games without a goal. And in the 88th minute, that's when every Milan fan was absolutely, I can guarantee you, every Milan fan was shitting himself or herself. Um, Napoli got the clo- their closest opportunity of the night as Lindstrom's cross met the extended leg of Simic, which whacked the ball against his own post. And that was, yeah, th- threatening stuff yeah. by Napoli. But I would, say, I would say Napoli had some good opportunities. They had two, three good opportunities. But I think, as a Milan fan, those last five minutes were the only times I felt threatened. I thought Milan did a very good job of controlling the game. I, I agree, yes. Um, I feel like Milan did a, an expert job, to be honest, to handle Napoli in this situation. A few things um, to note as well. Davide Calabria did go off injured and was replaced by Florenzi, yep. who has looked useful as a utility option he came on at one point and um, thank god he did because Gvarat Skelly was clean through on the break he had only Kier in front of him mm-hmm. um, Florenzi saw this at the midfield ra- line and started charging started yeah. running back as fast as he can um, Kier god knows what the hell he was <laughs> thinking he honestly a, a guy at his age like honestly just like what are you doing when he tried, he, to, he tried to take Gvaratskelia out. Like he tried properly, to, take he, him he out. tried to kill yeah. Gvaratskelia. So just because he saved Eriksson, he feels like he can kill <laughs> Gvaratskelia. No. He like slide tackled, but like midair, like kung fu kicked. He tried to kung fu kick him, uh, like from the front, man. Any going any for contact, a shin, you know? Any contact, and that is he would have really hurt. Latent, yeah. blatant red card. Um, Guevara had the presen- presence of mind to round him, um, mm-hmm. but Florenzi had tracked back the entire time and actually won the ball back. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he gave a corner away, but he did win it back. Basically, yeah. he stopped Guevara's So, shout out Florenzi. Mm-hmm. Um, he is every 
referee's nightmare Florenzi. <laughs> Every time he comes on, the referee makes like a routine decision. There's always a routine decision that Flore- he just can't believe it, Florenzi. Yep. Just can't believe how certain, stupid. Certain players have a license to talk to the referee, no? Chiellini um, was one exactly. of them. Exactly. They're almost um, former captains or people who captained the team for a long time. Because Florenzi yeah. was Roma's captain for so long. So he almost feels entitled to run up to the referee and whine in his face. Mm-hmm. When in reality, he shouldn't be talking to no. the referee. But he doesn't stop. He doesn't stop. It's hilarious. Mm-hmm. There was the game before this one. I don't even think we mentioned it on the podcast. He was killing us. We're laughing at him, dude. <laughs> but the, the match fucking ended. Milan came back to win at the end and Florenzi is still screaming at the referee because of <laughs> the a yellow card. having other conversations with other players, shaking that in the background. You just see fucking Florenzi just with his hands together, big yeah. super Italian, just, <laughs> just like complaining. Whining. Literally. Um, just a, a few players I would like to highlight that really made this Milan performance a uh, dominant one. Um, Florenzi was one of them and I've recently come across the, the term MILF. Mm, yes. Man, I love Florenzi. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Man, I do love Florenzi. I do love Florenzi. Um, Gabbia, just again, extra. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, but this was another extraordinary performance by Gabbia. Um, he reads the game so well, man. And that is his number one trait. Honestly, mm. the way he reads the game is very, very good. Um, Adli and Ben Nasser in the pivot together were, were very good. Um, very creative, very fluid, um, off the ball, and then obviously we didn't get to see. Ben Nasser is fantastic off the ball, though, isn't mm, he? He tracks yes, back yes, a lot yes. and he gets a lot of dirty work done. And just Teo Hernandez is. We so before we said that the uncontested star of Milan is Rafa Leao. Mm-hmm. And we've mentioned Pulisic being there, Giroud being there. Can we not take this man, Teo Hernandez, for granted? Because for the past five years, he has been the most reliable player in Milan's team, without a shadow of a doubt. Reliable, versatile, loyal. Um, fit. Fit. He isn't available. Available. Absolutely. No drama, no hassle with renewals, no, no nothing. He stopped He's, doing this shit at the back. Exactly. He, he improved defensively so much. Every year we almost see him get better to the point that he was viewed as a bad defender in his first season. He was viewed, ah, because Teo, all he can do is attack. Mm. This season, what, four or five years later, he played as a centre-back. That mm. goes to show the progress that Theo Hernandez has made as a player. Remarkable player. Honestly, I think he's, at the moment, Mr. Milan. You know what I mean? Absolutely. He is the um, epitome of Milan. When it comes to Leo, of course, he's always going to be the star, the golden star, boy, golden boy, the marquee player, you know, because he's flashy, he's cool, he, he dribbles with a smile, he does things that most people can't do, yeah. his technique and his dribbling skills are incredible, so of course, he's always going to get the headlines, but Theo Hernandez, it's, it's, I don't think there's a player like him in the world, man. Literally, and uh, it's funny, um, Mazzari complained, he's like, like we, we we played a good game. I don't think Milan deserved to win the game. So I was really frustrated by their goal because it was the most routine Milan move ever. And he said, I don't want to blame one player from my team. Um, but we've practiced that a hundred mm. times leading mm. up to yeah, Milan. So. Uh, what's this? The Aryan Robin effect, the, the, the Del Piero effect. Everyone knows what you're going to do, but you can't stop it. Exactly. Take exactly. the L, baby. Take the L. But, like... What what a move that is by me. To have that up your locker, just to have that cheat code left back that can play a ball, 
dart fucking forward that way. And all you need to do is wait for him to get in that position. Brilliantly weighted ball, uh, placed pass rather by, by Leao. And I thought Golini should have come out better yeah. probably, but that speed, bro, that speed of Teo sometimes is so I, quick. Sometimes I wonder um, how much of this is improvisation and how much of it is, is practiced mm. in training, you know what I mean? Um, like, do Leao and Theo bail purely out or does purely set them up to succeed? I don't think it takes a genius manager to put together that move. I'm yeah. not going to lie. It takes, like, Leao and... I'd almost be embarrassed to set it up. Pass to Leao, Theo, you run, run, charge. <laughs> Everyone cover, cover. Play it to the tall striker. Start running. Tall striker, hold up. Play it to the winger. Winger plays it to the left back. It's, it's routine, eh? It's, yeah. And they've done that move a thousand million fucking times. So you mentioned what Mazzari said after the game. Mm. But what about what Pioli said? Huh? Take it away, brother. <clears throat> this is an actual quote, by the way. I know we joke a lot over here, but it sounds like Pioli might be a listener because it's right up our alley. <laughs> so, Leo and Theo, they hear each other. They smell each other. They know each other. They kiss each other. Mm. I kiss them too when they score a goal. Fucking yes. End quote. Yes. That's what we're all about here okay. at Milan, man. That's it, man. We we kiss, we smell, we love, we fuck, man. We know. That's, we know. We know. We, we all kiss each other. Fuck it. Let's up. It's a party, man. What are we? Non-inclusive. What's this? That's We're such Milan. a strange joke to make, you know? <laughs> they know each other. They kiss each other. I kiss them as well. Man. Like, what? What? Pioli, what? <laughs> the Twitter reaction has been hilarious because no one qu- knows like quite what to make of, of mm. this quote. Um, but yeah, it's, it's hilarious. No, it's, uh, it's 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 beautiful. Pioli was always such a great speaker. Um, Milan are now nine games undefeated. Their last loss came against Atalanta in December. Since then, they've had two draws and <clears> seven <throat> wins. It's easy to look at the Bologna game. It's easy to look at the Salernitana game and say Milan are in a slump. Milan haven't been in a slump since the start of the year. Um, and the end of last year, Milan are looking like a, a fully flowing Champions League team. And any other season, Milan could really fucking push for the, to win the league. Um, you mentioned Calabria's injury. He's set to miss two games only. Mm. But motherfucking Milf will step in and, and do a fantastic job over there for Milan. Milan now just one point behind Juventus in third place. Juve on 53, Milan on 52. Whilst Napoli, my God, ninth place, 35 points. Just two points ahead of Torino. Juve took on Udinese at home and failed to get anything out of it. Yes, they Um, got roasted. Udinese beat them 1-0 for... Juve's lineup, it was a 3-5-2 formation with Chesney in goal, Gatti, Bremer and Sandra at the back. Sandra over there relieving Danilo, um, giving him a bit of a rest. Cambiazzo was out on the left with Wea out on the right. Rabiot, Locatelli and Weston McKennie were in the middle with Arcadius Milik up front, replacing the injured Dusan Vlavic alongside Federico Chiesa. For Udinese, it was a 3-5-1-1 formation with uh, Maduka Okoye in goal, who had a fucking incredible yeah. Uh, Christensen, Gianetti and Perez at the back, Zamura on the left, Ezebue on the right, Samardzic, Wallace and Lovrich in the middle with Tauvan playing behind Lorenzo Lucca. 
Now, uh, Udinese's goal came the 25th minute after Lautaro Gianetti fired home um, after uh, an Udinese free kick, which wasn't cleared well by Alex Sandro. In the second half, Milik scored, but Chiesa's cross had gone out of play. And um, I can't remember, to be honest, um, a game where Juve got so close to scoring and just couldn't, man. Hey, man. I can't. Honestly, um, in the second half, the quality did dip. When they brought in their substitute, when they made their substitutions, you mm-hmm. look at the substitutions um, you've made this game, and it highlights a problem, right? A problem that we've discussed um, bef- before on this podcast. Mm. So they took out Wea, Locatelli, Chiesa, and Cambiazo, and they brought on Yildiz, Iling Jr., Nicolusi, and Cherry, um, four Juve next gen players. Yeah. Now, you know, when they're doing well, it's good. They have all these good players who are great for the future. They have a nice system going, um, developing youth, and all these youth players are looking so good because th- these four players that I've mentioned are very exciting, right? Mm-hmm. Yildiz has been amazing. Ling Jr. has already um, made a name for himself, and Nicolusi has looked dependable. Yeah. Cherry is a six foot six striker, by the way, who has um, who made his debut this game. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't really have any options on the bench to turn the game around when they get an injury or two to their 11-man. So when Chiesa's out or when Vlaovic is out or when Rabiot's out, these guys are not replaceable for them at the moment. And they are struggling. Um, in they, Well, not they are struggling. They struggled in this game. They yeah. couldn't get it over the line in this game. Yeah. The, their game changers are all in their starting 11 it obviously doesn't help that the likes of, you know, Vlaovic is out injured, Moise Keen is out injured. Um, obviously, what happened to Fajoli and Pogba happened to Fajoli and Pogba as well. Um, so those are all massive setbacks. And, you know, at least two of these suspensions in Pogba and Fajoli suddenly impacted this team for the entirety of the season. But mm-hmm. as a result of that, you would expect to see them be just a little bit more active in the January transfer market. No, you would think. Also, players like Filipe Kostic Hmm. wasn't brought on in this game. And and he is, when you need a goal and you have Kostic available, then perhaps he is a good outlet to bring on, Um, whether it's in a more offensive area or or, or whether it's it's as a left-wing back, for example. I feel like he's, um, even due to his experience... He is perhaps a, a player that should have been brought on. But it's a very, yes, you're, you're right. And, and we debated last week, mm. actually, um, that Chiesa was not starting matches and that he was being brought on as almost like a super sub. And Yildiz was starting those matches and we're saying, is Chiesa ever fit? And is he the type of player that should be utilized only for special occasions? So on and so forth. Mm. Maybe that is kind of why... Um, Allegri opted to bring him on as a super sub as well because they don't have many game changers. So starting with Yildiz, if he's not performing as an 18-year-old, and I think he's more likely not to perform as an 18-year-old, they could bring on Chiesa. And like mm-hmm. that, you could you could ensure that you have the game changer and at the same time, he's more more, more likely to remain fit, I guess. I, I do like that approach. And um, I, I can see, though, why he opted against that for this game because you have love, which out, you're not going to start with Yildiz exactly. Milik, you know? Um, but yeah, but yeah, um, absolutely. I think that's not a bad idea. Getting Yildiz to, to play sixty minutes uh-huh. or a half, and then bringing on Chiesa when legs are tired, mm-hmm. um, so he doesn't have to deal with ninety minutes of being kicked. Um, 
in the second half, the only chance, um, the only good creative chance created by one of those midfielders was Cambiazo. By the way, who had a fantastic game. I think Cambiazo was Great. the best man in, in a Juve mm-hmm. kick. Um, he had a ball over the top to, to Yildiz, and that was the only chance I think that was created. Mm-hmm. Other than that, it was a whole lot of Chiesa dribbling one man, trying to dribble another man, losing the ball, winning it back, trying to dribble another man, you know, just trying to do everything himself. Mm-hmm. He, you, you remember when Chiesa was at Fiorentina, we said this guy could be great, but he never looks up. Mm-hmm. You still you still kind of you see that see in it, his yeah. game, huh? That's true. Is, when, when he's just outside the box, at a bit of an angle, there's the opportunity to cross or like lay the ball off. But he's there with the ball at his feet going, whoa, 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 am I going to go left? Am I going to go right? say that about Chiesa. That's man. true. He used to ball watch at 13. Yes, I used to look at the ball while he was dribbling. Like, yes, man. Coach Mark would have killed him. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, by the way, with you, with this Juve loss, every team has now lost at least once at home. Juve were undefeated at home. In the oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um a few, a few, yes, a few more things I would like to mention. Of course, let's highlight the the star men at Udinese. The, mm-hmm. the, first of all, Choffi, well done. You allegri, allegri. Yeah, an absolute defensive masterclass. He brought on Isaac Success and Brenner, who just pressed and pressed and pressed as high as possible, and they really disrupted Juve's flow, and they couldn't do anything. Um, so props to Udinese, props to Choffi. You did a great job. Now, yeah. next up is the Nigerian goalkeeper, Maduka Okoye, mm-hmm. who is 24 years old, six foot six, giant kid. Um, he was actually born in Germany, fun fact. Okay. And he grew up in the Dusseldorf system before moving to Mönchengladbach. And then Bayer Leverkusen, along with Dusseldorf, in his youth career, he moved around a lot. In his senior career, he's played for Dusseldorf, Rotterdam, Sparta Rotterdam as well. So there's two, apparently. There's young Sparta Rotterdam, which is the youth team, I would assume, uh-huh. and Sparta Rotterdam, which is the senior team. He also went to Watford, but didn't play a single game before being loaned back to Rotterdam and sold to Udinese eventually. So you know what he is, bro? A pozzo, man. He's a victim of the pozzo system. Yeah. Yes, Watford and Udinese, for those of you who do not know, have the same owners and they're constantly shifting players around. I mean, think of Pereira, think of Delafo. Think of Trusta Congo, all these players. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. Um, yeah, another man I'd like to highlight is Lautaro Gianetti. Ah, yes, by the way, Maduka Okoye does represent Nigeria. He's played 16 games for the mm-hmm. for the Super Eagles. And um, he's got a very bright future. Let's talk about how he punched. Ah, yes. So, so, yes, twice. there were three three controversial moments in this game. Um, two of them being exactly the same, where Okoye charges out, punches the ball, and in the follow-up, decks Milik in the face. Like, mm-hmm. honestly, it was almost comedic how similar it was to the whole Inter incident. Yeah. Um, I, so, you think those were both penalties? Because you had argued that you you believe if you get punched in the face, uh... but I I thought that Summers was more as he was punching the ball. He also it, it was more in um it was more in the same frame of mm. action. I felt like these were like follow ups, like actual actual follow ups. Mm. I did think that the the Inter one was a bit more like he made contact with the ball and straight after uh, on Milik's face. Like but this was more like as his thing. arm was going down, you know, he he landed on. Mm. I personally for me they're very similar. Um this is what of of course we're always preaching for consistency, uh-huh. blah blah blah. Remove subjectivity That's the only from thing the I'm game. Kind of... Yeah. I th- I thought they would both be harsh kind of thing, which is not to say that obviously the Inter one wasn't harsh. 
but, but it, it is quite frustrating and I, I would see where Inter fans are coming from that these two weren't weren't given. I see that. Ah, um, yes, absolutely. Um, for <laughs> No, but I am of the belief that, as you know, if you've listened to the previous episodes, that um, goalkeepers need to be protected and that in these situations... Um, you, you should never give a penalty for that, in my opinion. Um, if you get the ball first, the striker, if he chose to put his head in the path of the flying fist of the goalkeeper, mm. that's that's his own fault, as harsh as it is. Today I'm harsh, bro. Today it's I'm, true, you're harsh. I'm like, the Rossi's a failure and penalties shouldn't be given when strikers get punched in the face. That's yeah. It. No, but do you, do you agree that um, Okoyes were more follow-throughs and that the other one was a little not, bit... Not not, entirely, bro. Okay. I, I, I don't agree. Um, I think they were very, very similar. I think they were all follow-throughs, to be honest. The ball was punched first, and then the man second. In every of the situation. Okay. And that's it. Um, Lautaro Gianetti, brother. Yes. Lautaro Gianetti um, was virtually a nobody before the season, um, in Europe at least. Mm-hmm. He's a six-foot-tall centre-back, 30 years old. Um, he was brought in from Velez Starsfield in Argentina. Okay. He actually has played for Argentina for the national team um, at youth level, though, with mm. the under 20s and the under 23s. Um, yeah, this was only his second ever appearance for for Udinese, and he played very well and even scored a goal. So he'd be happy with how his debut season in Europe is going. Mm-hmm. I was surprised to see one name in the Udinese starting lineup. Mm-hmm. And it's Nehuen Perez because ah, yes. it had been virtually confirmed that he was off to Napoli mm-hmm. at, at the end of at the end of January. But clearly that's fallen through, and here he is still representing <laughs> yes, yeah. representing Udinese. Yeah, that's uh, that's always funny when you expect someone to be leaving and then you turn on your TV and you see them over there. You were like, "What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> What's Nehuen Perez doing there?" <laughs> But yeah, um, Wallace is quite often an unsung hero for Udinese. He does a whole lot of dirty work in that midfield. Mm-hmm. He's so good. Um, and Samardzic, man, the way he glides with that ball. If he mm-hmm. really is joining Juventus next season, because as, as the reports suggest, yeah. they could really use that. And having Rabio and him to carry the ball would be would yeah. be amazing for them. Yeah. You know, they really need that. There was a a third controversial moment. Ah, yes, of course. <laughs> oh, how it slipped my mind. Uh, mm-hmm. Manu Dinez, the defender, was sliding. Yeah. And he literally got a, an arm on the ball, like a proper armful on the ball. And ah, to me, it wasn't a proper armful. It wasn't a proper armful. It was quite an armful, bro. No, was... I, I, I don't think it made any impact to, to any outcome of what was going on. It was a it The was defender a stray... pulled the ball with him as he was, was sliding with his a... arm. It was a bit of a stray arm that made slight contact with the ball from very, very close range. I've seen them given before, bro. I've seen them given, of course, yeah. wrongfully. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's wrongfully. He's right in front of the goalkeeper. He's sliding and he moves the ball with his arm. Um, it, it's not exactly natural. His arm wasn't in a natural position and the ball didn't move naturally. So I don't know. <laughs> it, we've reached a point where I don't know the rules. Hey, man. We've hey, reached hey, a point hey, where hey, I'm hey. watching the game. I'm like, is this a penalty? I don't know. Because someone's going to pull out a fucking clause like, uh, according to the sixth yeah. line of the... Like, fuck that, man. I don't know, honestly. I don't know anything. Oh, man, I don't care, to be honest, man. Yeah. For me, um, I'm just going to keep whining for objectivity consistency. and consistency. Yeah. Yes. Um, 
I don't know if there's anything else left to say from this game other than the fact that um, Juventus were very disappointing this game and they didn't really show up. Um, the midfield was pretty bad, to be honest. I, I I didn't think that anyone had a particularly good game, not even Locatelli no. and Rabiot, despite the high ratings. Uh, you watch the game, they weren't particularly great. Yeah. Cambiazzo, for me, is the man of the match for Juventus. He was bombing down that... Um, Flank in a more advanced position than Timothy Weah, funnily yeah. enough. Timothy yeah. Weah was dropping deeper. Um, as for Udinese, incredible team performance. Okoye, man of the match. Um, Milik did his absolute best to try to get on the score sheet, netting in. And he, he would get a low rating for this. He would be made fun of or insulted for this display, but there wasn't much he could do. He got his shots on target. He even got one into the back of the net. It, he was just up against a keeper who was, who was on top form yeah agreed agreed Juventus are currently in second with 53 points that's seven points away from Inter who also have a game in hand as we alluded to Udinese have climbed up to 15th with 22 points there's a new word you're enjoying huh? alluded every uh-huh. episode I have a word I overuse it's true last week it was spunk <laughs> so strange they have enough spunk they had too much spunk spunk that's was there Roma just didn't have enough spunk, bro, to deal with him there, you know? <laughs> I think Roma have a lot of spunk, to be honest. Mala. Mancini has a lot of spunk. He definitely has a lot of spunk. Uh, Genoa won Atalanta for another very, very dominant display by Atalanta, bro. They're just looking so good this season. They're looking like a definite top four team at this rate. Uh, Genoa were coming off a nil-nil away draw to Empoli, whilst Atalanta were coming off a 3-1 home win against Lazio. The previous encounter between these two teams was a 2-0 victory for Atalanta. Now, both sides were on splendid form, as the hosts were unbeaten in eight, with uh, the winter suspended, Haps and January signing Ankeye injured. Ladea had Cope Miners back after a couple of weeks out, but Edison sat out a ban with Hien and Palomino, while Muriel is heading to Orlando City, and Adamola Lukman was busy playing in the African Cup of Nations final, with Nigeria again losing. Um, it was a 3-5-2 formation for Genoa, with the amazing Martinez in goal, in the backline of Vasquez, Barney and Voliacco. Or Voliaccio, uh, Frendrup out on the left, Sabelli out on the right, and the midfield three of Strutman, Badel, and Malinowski, with Retegui and, Good- and Goodmanson up front. It was a 3 4 2 1 formation for Gasperini's men, with Carnesecchi in goal and the backline of Scalvini, Jim City, and Kolasinac. Home out on the right, with Ruggeri out on the left, and the double pivot of Pasalic and Deron, with Cope Minish and De Catelare playing behind Scamacca. At times, this also looked like Cope Minish in the free role with Skamaka and the Ketelare up ahead of him. Now, in the 21st minute, uh, Atalanta opened the scoring through a splendid strike by Charles de Ketelare, who controlled Pasalic's pass from just outside the area with his right and immediately struck a half volley with his left, which flew into the top corner. He did an I can't hear you celebration, which was really cool. Sabelli didn't like it. He's going in his face. He's complaining. He's mimicking him. Wow, wow, shut the fuck up. <laughs> CDK's moment, not yours. Sabelli was upset. He was double marked all game, man. Yeah. <laughs> Poor <laughs> guy. He had fucking Ruggieri and Colasinac on his ass all game, dude. Because he's Literally. the counter-attacking avenue. But anyway, sorry, go on. Yeah. 
In the 50th minute, Genoa equalized through Malinowski, who played a 1-2 with Badel and struck the ball first time with power and precision into Karnasecki's near top corner. Nothing Karnasecki could do about that. This guy could place a powerful strike. You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? Yeah, he yeah, could place people, yeah. a powerful strike. That's exactly what he did. So you, there's a video game term. I'm not sure if you know about it. Do you know scripting? Yes, of course. Bro, man, it's almost like he scripts. It's almost like that. Those shots always fly into the top corner, no matter what. He's a it's scripter, true. I'm telling you. In the 54th minute, Cope Minersh made it 2-1 for Atalanta. This was the third world-class goal of the match and the third left-footed goal of the match. Um, Cope Miners was um, from a slightly angled free kick and he beat the wall and hit the top corner, no problem. Um in the 82nd minute, the third goal was absolute chaos as Martinez made the save on Matteo Ruggeri, then Pasalic, but Scalvini was there to bundle the ball over the line eventually. The odd thing is that Scalvini's boot had come off during a tackle in the long move, so he scored with his bare foot holding his shoe in his hand and he actually slipped over while celebrating and holding his shoe. It was a mess of a celebration and a yeah. situation for Scalvini. There. But there was... There was a six-minute VAR check. Yeah, that's to, too long. To catch Pasalic offside, who got the final touch on the Scalvini finish. Six that's minutes. Can you imagine being there at the game? What a bore. How fucking frustrating. But thanks to that, obviously, there were fucking 11 minutes of, of at the time that were added. And in the 99th minute, Zappa Costa made the three as he scored against his former side with a rebound following a Miranchuk attempt. Uh, Pasalic once again did great here to create the chance in the first place. And then in the 102nd minute, El Bilal Toure, the man's first appearance for Atalanta since joining in um, the summer from Almeria for 30 million. That's a club record signing. He got injured in a preseason friendly against Juve with a rupture of the right femoral rectus tendon insertion. Jesus Christ, that's a mouthful. But nevertheless, in the 102nd minute, he headed in after Amaranchuk cross. But to be honest, he looked lively while he was on. Absolutely. No, he looked, <laughs> he looked like... He- he looked like Skamaka is going to have a really tough time to find minutes because Skamaka has been, okay, he's not been terrible, right? Um, no. Especially when it comes to uh, productivity, um, from a productivity standpoint. But um, he's been criticized by Spalletti, the Italian national team manager, and mm. Gasperini for not running enough, which is just wild. Like yeah. if, you, if, you are critis- if you're being criticized by your manager for not working hard enough publicly, that's the manager's last resort. He would yeah. have told him so many times. He would have been told by so many people you have to work harder before he eventually takes it to the public as a last-ditch tactic, you know? But yeah. now you're looking at, as we mentioned in the intro, Lukman, El Bilal, Skamaka, Miranchuk, CDK. Like, there's so much Literally. talent. There's so much talent. And I no, can't help Pasalic, but feel... false nine. Yeah. <laughs> I can't help but feel that we're going to be seeing less and less of Skamaka. Yeah, could could be. I mean, it, it was already the case with Miranchuk and CDK, let alone with Lukman and El Bilal Touré entering the, the fray. Yeah. I am excited to see him because Atalanta don't splash cash. Yeah. And they splash 30 million on this guy. I also have him on Fanta. So I'm, I have him and Skamaka on Fanta. <sighs> So I'm super, super fucking excited. Oh, but on different ones. 
So if they rotate, I might be fucked in either or. But that at least it makes the decision for you because there's nothing worse than having two Gasparini strikers and having to choose which one plays. Man, I had Duvan Muriel, bro. Oh my god! Back in the day, I have Edison Pasalic, but thankfully they're starting. (laughs) Start them both with a sub, bro. I want to say, CDK is not the only revitalized player under Gasparini, but Pasalic has improved. Tremendously, his performances last season and his performances this season, especially in recent history, they look like two completely different players. Last season in January, I dropped him from Fanta. <laughs> I dropped him to make half the credits back. He was the credits were more valuable. Um, but this season, he's so involved in the play. We're starting to see him get into those intelligent positions. He carries the ball forward a lot. He's very, very involved as a box-to-box midfielder. Absolutely, he dipped a little bit for a while last season and even beginning of the season. But yeah. he he's definitely found his his game again and he played in a double pivot this game, so mm-hmm. he did very well. Um, before you mentioned El Bilal Toure and his um, his transfer value, yeah, Atalanta don't buy players unless they can flip them for a profit. That's their mm-hmm. whole transfer model, unless they're free transfers or low cost options like Zappa Costa, for example. Um, they they don't go for players that that are gonna see them lose money in the long run. So it's very exciting to see what they've seen in El Bilal Toure to bring him in and um, for for that price tag, you know. For it to make sense, they need to profit more than thirty million. Exactly, exactly. So, so what what are they thinking here? They're gonna sell him for seventy, eighty. What's his? I, I'm curious to see what he's done in his career. This guy. Ah, I, I'm I'm not too aware. To be to be completely lost, but he was at Almeria. Um, he was on loan a couple of times mm. as 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 well. Yes, so he had twenty one games and seven goals for Almeria, and he was with Chem. He was with Chem. Yeah, it's a good thing he's not playing for them this Thursday. <laughs> um, he had sixty four games and nine goals. So okay, he's scored where he's been. He's twenty two years old, so that's actually quite impressive because that's a top level, mm. you know. So yeah, it's interesting to see um, Atalanta swooping in, just cacaoing him, you know, bringing him Literally. in. Um, he's also from Mali, and he okay. has five goals in fifteen games from Mali. He must have been not 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 a lot of um, not not a huge case study of what he's done so yeah. far. No, yeah, not much. He's quite an unknown, but uh-huh. Atalanta would know, man. They'd know, they'd, they'd know, know, bro. He's, they'd know. And you know, he, he looked lively when he came on for his first appearance. I'm telling you. Yes, man. And I just want to praise Atalanta overall, bro, because genuinely, one thing that I noticed, and funnily enough, before this episode, I was saying that Inter do this as well, but Atalanta fucking do it to a ridiculous extent. The way they stretch the lines, they create mm. gaping holes in the defense. Genoa starts with a, with a three at the back, you know what I mean? And they could be very, very... Closed in and tight, but the second Cope Miners plays the ball to the Catalaro, plays it to Ruggieri, then they swap the play by playing it to the home, who plays it to home. They, by then, while they're all transitioning, there's a gaping hole in the defense, and they have so many talented strikers and so many intelligent midfielders that could slot in and get goals over there. I strongly believe that Atalanta will get something out of that Inter game, that Inter have a game in hand for. Mm. They look so good, bro. They look so fluid. They look so mature. And once they're off the ball, they are one of the most... Fr- so on the ball, super fluid, super mm. quick, super sexy, super nice. 
off the ball, they're one of the most frustrating teams to play against because they have 11 fucking players behind 11. the ball. 11. Yeah. And they're shifting and, and pressing and marking and they're, they're unpenetrable, impenetrable. Yeah, bro. Um, honestly, yes. Um, it took, of course, two things to penetrate them. Uh, Il Ruolo del X, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, the law of the X, seeing Malinowski scoring over here. And number two, Malinowski's left foot. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, of course, is a script, no? But yes, bro, um, they do totally stretch the defense. I agree with you there. It's a plug and play system. The players seem to understand the system now more than ever. Um, it's almost like they had a phase of pragmatism, Atalanta, mm. where they stopped bombing forward and they stopped p- putting all these goals past teams and they were kind of almost setting up for narrow margin victories. However, now it's almost like they found this this perfect balance, man. Right, exactly. And, and honestly, I, I think that fourth pl- spot is theirs. Um, I, I can't see anyone else um, on, on uh-huh. their level. And the thing is, they have a very deep squad. So here we saw Cope Miners, Decatelare, Skamaka, right? Mm-hmm. Any other day, you could see Miranchuk replace one of those. You could see Lukman replace one of those. You could see, instead of Skamaka, you could see El Bilal Toure. Yeah, instead yeah, of yeah. Home or Ruggeri, you can see Zappacosta. Instead of Scalvini, Jim City or Kolasinac, you could see Toloi. You could see Hatteber on as well. They have they have two starters in every position. That's that's pretty much how it is. Yeah. And the model of player they have is just high IQ, versatile, very technical. So, yeah. <laughs> So honestly, it's it's a pretty pretty good system that Atalanta have uh, put together mm-hmm. over here. Probably at the moment, they're my favorite team to watch in yeah. Serie I think so, bro. I think so. I really enjoy them. And on the day, I enjoy Genoa as well. I think uh-huh. they just creamed. But <laughs> honestly, Atalanta have so many of these unique players, man. They always have unique players. They had Papu Gomez. They had Ilicic. Ilicic. Oof. You know, man, Pasalic is a very, very, very unique player. Coop Miners, who can play virtually anywhere on the pitch and is incredibly two-footed. Yeah. Very cool team. Absolutely. They are in fourth place on 42 points with a game in hand. They are 10 points behind Milan and just three points ahead of Bologna, who also have a game in hand. Genoa, on the other hand, sit comfortably in 12th place on 29 points. Cagliari hosted Lazio and lost 3-1. Um, I knew this was going to happen. De- <laughs> Deola, the second... I knew this was going to happen. The second I flicked on my TV and I saw that bloody stand in the middle with, say, uh, Tim written on it, you know, Immobile stepping up, all right. Okay, so there's Immobile on the right. There's the referee in the middle holding the coin. And on the left, who comes into frame? Deola, the captain of Cagliari. You're always going to lose if Deola's your captain. Fair enough. <laughs> no, all jokes aside. Kind of mean. All jokes aside, bro, Deola is probably my least favorite player in the league. And not if, more. If, if, not, if not in the world, bro. Whoa. Because watching Deola play hurts me. Okay. Because he's a player, okay, who gives everything. Mm-hmm. He gives everything. Credit to him. like. But he's so clumsy in front of goal, especially. And even in front of his own goal, because he scores so many own goals. And he's so unlucky that, like, in situations where he shouldn't even get the ball, like, the ball hits him and goes into the back of the net. The ball hits him and goes out when he could have scored an open net, you know? It's hard to watch Deola, in my opinion. Yeah. And I've always and I've always had this thing with him. And he, he had, I remember, for some reason, it just sticks in my memory, he scored against Milan. 
Ah, of course, yes, because I, because <laughs> I say this often. That, that's karma. Yeah, and, and I believe it was it was a very tight fight. I believe Joao Joao Pedro had scored as well. Mina had scraped like a three two win. Yeah. I believe no four two opening game of the season a couple of years ago. I think. Yeah, possibly. Um, for Lazio, it was a 4-3-3 formation with Provedel in goal, who had a great game. Hisai on the left, Marisic on the right, with Gila and Romagnoli as the centre-back partnership. Luis Alberto Cataldi and Guendouzi were the midfield three, with Felipe Anderson on the left, Isaacson on the right, and the return of the King Chiro Mobile starting up front. For Cagliari, it was a 3-4-2-1 formation with Scuffet in goal, Zappa, Yerimina and Obert at the back. Nathan Nandes was on the right with Atsi on the left. Deola and Makumbu were in the midfield um, double pivot with Viola and Gaetano playing behind La Padula. It's, it's official, by the way. Our girlfriends do find Viola sexy. Yeah, yeah, it's official. They, they took him on Fanta and they saw him. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> the 26th. Or they saw him and then took him on Fanta. Yeah, I think I think Viola is one of those. If you see a picture, it doesn't do him justice. Then you see mm. him standing over a free kick, you yeah. know, and you're like, you're like that guy is cool. Yeah. The 26th minute was when it started. Lazio piled up the pressure and Isaacson's square pass. Past Scuffet obviously saw Deola fumbling the ball into the back of his own net. Now, this wasn't exactly his fault. Of course, this is all comic relief, what I'm saying about Deola. Or is it? Um, <laughs> Atsi went to clear the ball, totally mishit it. It hit Deola, who was flat-footed and went into the back yeah. of the net. This is what I mean when I say he's unlucky. Mm-hmm. Atsi should have cleared that. Yeah. Atsi should have cleared that or scored the own goal himself. There was no situation where Deola should have hit that ball and scored an own goal. Yeah. But anyway... So that was the first half, 1-0. In the 49th minute, Chiro Immobile stole the headlines of this game. Um, the headline is not actually Deola, it's Chiro's 200th Serie A goal, which he got from the tightest possible angle after an Isaacson rebound. Well, Isaacson shot and Immobile scored the rebound from a tight angle. Um, Chiro looks to be back, bro, um, when it comes to his movement, at least. His offensive movement is so dangerous. I think he's top percentile probably when it comes mm. to his movement um, along that uh, opposition defensive line mm-hmm. um, he's not as sharp on the ball anymore um, he often fumbles it but when it comes to this movement he's top tier mm-hmm. in the 51st minute new boy Gaetano who's on loan from Roma uh, from Napoli sorry curled in an absolute peach um, to make it to one, the Cagliari fans really enjoyed that one. Luvumbo Zito flicked the ball to him with the outstep of his foot and Gaetano curled it from outside the area. And you can hear the entire Sardinia stadium erupting. Um, I forgot the stadium name, but it's in Sardinia. You always confuse him with Bove. Who? Gaetano? Uh-huh. Ah, possibly. Um, <laughs> in the last episode, I believe you did. Did I make the same mistake? Uh-huh. I think you were just referring to him as Bove for, for some time. In the 65th minute, uh, Felipe Anderson converted a well-worked team maneuver with the help of a deflection off of Zappa. And in the 84th minute, um, after coming on and looking quite lively, Kamada hit the post. So, brother, this is four losses in a row for Cagliari. What the hell should they do? Well, it's always tough. To say a team should sack their manager. Especially when the manager When the manager is Claudio Ranieri. No? Mm. Look, I mean, Cagliari, as I have said many a times, I love them as a team because they are hustlers. Um, however, they do lack a significant amount of quality in their team. They have close to no competitive individual quality 
within their team. There are few players that I look at and I say, wow, what a great player. Mm-hmm. Nathan Nandes is technically gifted, Viola is technically gifted, Lapadula's cool, sure, you know what I mean? <laughs> Scuffe is kind of good, I guess, as a goalkeeper, but they really leave a lot to be desired and you can fuck them, you can kill them, mm-hmm. you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And, and we've seen it happen. I think they're, to be honest, safely destined for the drop and I don't think there are many managerial changes they can do to save this team. I think that in order for them to survive, a managerial change is all they can attempt because there's no way you're changing 11 players. That's um I so overall I do agree with your with your um analysis basically on on Cagliari up until this point. Um however I do think that this is the toughest moment in the season for them. This is almost uh a rebuild, you know, mm. a ground zero. They had their best player Luvumbo who went to Afcon and was unavailable for a while. Hence them losing literally four games in a row because mm-hmm. he's only just come back. So they need to get him ready again. Um Yerimina has just come into that defensive line and needs to settle. And Gaetano has come in on loan and hit the ground, to be honest, running. So that gives them a few difference makers going forward. So, for example, you have Viola and Gaetano who are capable of magic moments. You've got a list of strikers. You've got so many strikers to the point that one of them is bound to hit a good spell of form. Now, you've got Lapadula, Pavoletti. You've got Petania. You've got Eldor Shomorodov. These guys are all on Cagliari's roster. You know, they're all in their mm-hmm. in their squad. I think um I, I think they'll they'll be okay, man, maybe. I think that um You think that they'll be okay, maybe? Yeah, I it I sounds have a like, feeling that it sounds that like much get... like me, you're wishful. I don't know if I'm wishful or not, man. I, I think for example, looking at this team, I, I like I like what I see more than for example with Frosinone. Because they can grind. I'm, I'm not sure if Frosinone can grind when they go and get stuff. Frosinone will lead goals no matter what. I think Cagliari might be able to sort that out. Especially with Ranieri, an expert in the 4-4-2 formation. The personnel they have are tough, you know. And all they needed were these kind of um, f- creative players. Like, Frosinone, bro, but they can attack. They can attack, but... Frosinone are dangerous. Frosinone, mm-hmm. you, you have to stay alert for 90 minutes when you're playing Frosinone. Yes, you, you're... Everyone scores against them. That's it. Yeah, but doesn't everyone score against Cagliari, Jake? Roma beat them 4-0. Lazio beat them 3-1. Milan beat them 4-1 as well. Yeah. They, 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 they're getting fucked. <laughs> they're, I'm telling you, this is, the toughest, this is the toughest point in their season, I think. Let me take one quick look at the table, one second, so I can objectively um, give an opinion. So they are 19th right now with 18 points. Um, in 17th, outside the relegation pool, you have Sassuolo with 20 points, Empoli with 21, Udinese with 22, then Frosinone at 23, Lecce 24, etc., etc. No, mathematically and they can. Of course, mathematically they can. But if you look at the form stats of all these teams... The worst form is, of course, by far Salernitana. Mm-hmm. Second worst is Cagliari. So it's it's only got bad for them now, Cagliari. You know, um, they have fucking four L's in a row, man. That's that's terrible. You know, and and honestly, it's not a coincidence that they all happened when Luvumbo was there. Because what would Ranieri do? Shut up shop for the first half, waste 
the energy of your opposition for an entire half. Mm-hmm. Second half, you bring on the players that can actually make a difference. Uh-huh. Now, let's let's be fair, because two of those games were against one against Roma away mm-hmm. and one against Lazio at home. So those, you, you can't forget that Cagliari had any chance of, of winning or, or mm-hmm. drawing any of those games. Um, they could have gotten more out of the Torino game. They could have gotten more out of the Frosinone game. Before that, they beat fucking Bologna. Yeah, you know, so th- they are a team that, through their spirit and and I guess through their hard work, their their work ethic, they're spunk. they're capable. They're, they they have spunk, brother. Perfect. They have <laughs> Cagliari have the most spunk in the league, but unfortunately, bro, they're shooting blanks, man. <laughs> um, look, I feel more inspired looking at Cagliari than I do, for example, Salernitana, Verona, and Frosinone at the moment. Uh, that's because you, you just love Spunk, bro. That's, that might be it, bro. That might be it. We'll see. Okay, of course, um, the relegation situation is definitely one of the most exciting things happening right now in the league because it is a tight affair and everyone looks good sometimes and everyone looks shit sometimes as Gattuso said sometimes maybe good sometimes maybe shit you know Um, but Sassuolo are flirting with it as well along there definitely definitely bro there there are I I can't tell who's gonna get to the gate Salernitana Cagliari Verona Frosinone I think I think Empoli are are looking too good Uh, Nicola right with, with, with Nicola but the thing is as they started getting better results you know, they're still only just two points ahead of Verona in 18th and three points ahead of Cagliari in 19th. So they're still not safe. Mm-hmm. And they're only a couple of injuries or a bad spell away from being there again. Uh, exactly. I mean, it can't get any worse for Cagliari. You know what I mean? They're, mm-hmm. they're on this four loss in a row streak. I, mm-hmm. I think they can they can get their shit together uh-huh. and really improve and collect a few points towards the end and of the season. Frosinone have to be part of the conversation. Absolutely. And... Lecce, I would say, similar to Empoli. They're a bit too good mm, to be there. Mm. I think I don't even consider Udinese and Sassuolo. Same here, as man, to be honest. Even though they're right fucking there. Because you know? they're, they're bound to pick up points. You know what I mean? These these are teams that are capable of beating the big dogs. You know, yeah. And that, that often makes a difference. As long as they can get the job done in the direct encounters against these teams, they should be okay. But yeah, the season, there's still quite a lot to play for. So I think we should move on and discuss Lazio a little bit because they were the aggressors in this situation. They were the impressive side. Um, I liked what I saw from Lazio. Uh I yeah. It was a good reaction. It was a very good reaction. And once again, I enjoyed watching Isaacson, who did... Granted, he got no assists, he got no goals, but both goals that... um, that were scored towards the end were thanks to him. You know, he forced them. Yeah. That was thanks to his dirty work. Kamada yeah. looked good coming off for the first time in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, Luis Alberto's kind of orchestrating, but he's not getting the same involvement. I have a hot take, bro, that this team can give fucking Bayern Munich some problems. Huh? You think? I is think it because Bayern Munich have been I underwhelming? I don't think it is... A big, a big parts because of that. So, first of all, the worst thing that could have happened to Lazio happened ahead of this game. Bayern Munich lost embarrassingly 
to Leverkusen. Leverkusen. Yes. Yeah. So that's the worst thing that could have happened to Lazio this game because they they would have wanted to face a side that isn't riled up and fired up to um, mm-hmm. to destroy them basically and to make a, an international statement. Um, but at the at the end of the day, Cataldi came in instead of Rovella and really orchestrated play well. Mm-hmm. I think Cataldi it was a good. phenomenal game. It was very game. good. Um, pro- possibly the best I've seen of him of his in a long time. Huh? Yeah. So. I think that back four is quite sorted, and if if Sarri wants, he can even replace Hila with Casale, who's mm-hmm. back. Yeah. So I think that with um, the ways the way Lazio play, I, I think they could they could actually give Bayern Munich some problems, man. But the counter attack, Shiro's offensive movement, the few options they have on the bench, you know, I mean, you can count on Pedro on a Champions League night if you can ever count on anyone. It's Pedro, you know. What do you think, man? Do you think I'm being optimistic here? Do you think that Bayern are going to come out and smash them 4-0? I don't think they'll smash them 4-0. But they'll, they'll, they'll beat them quite comfortably, I say. Maybe 2-0 maybe two, two in one leg, 1-0 one in the other. Maybe at, at, a 2-1 and then a 3-0 or a 3-1 and then a 2-0. Something like that. The margin won't be one. And they'll beat them quite comfortably. I think Bayern Munich are still top. They're, they're amazing. Bro. Leverkusen are aliens. They're incredible, They're yes. Aliens. Yes. Um, obviously, yes. Um, Lazio are the massive underdogs going into this one. But I think that they can be a, a wild card this game. You know, I, I wouldn't rule them out completely. In fact, I wouldn't I wouldn't place a bet on Bayern to win, for example, this game. I, I would. I wouldn't include in a slip. I would. First of all, the odds wouldn't be very I think they're going to. Very good. <laughs> they be not like that. But remember, this team is still in the process of gelling, bro. Yeah, and uh, all right, that defense is sorted. Uh, how sorted? What about fucking Harry Kane? You know what <laughs> I mean? They're not really sorted. We have got Harry Kane in, in, yeah, bro, in the we team. We haven't heard of Alessio Romagnoli, bro. We we also Harry Kane against Italian defenses. No, that one time in the Euros. What did he do? Fuck all. That's what he did. Oh, Harry Kane. Uh, <laughs> 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 no, bro. Um, obviously, obviously, um, that's mostly wishful thinking. But I do, I do think that um, people are underestimating Lazio. You know the way people have been speaking about this game is that it's an obvious victory for Bayern Munich. I don't think it's an obvious victory for Bayern Munich. Lazio have dangerous weapons that um, they they could use to to punish um, Bayern Munich. However, however, the main talking point, of course, should be Jerome Mobile. Let's highlight his career very quickly because scoring 200 goals in Serie A is no joke. Okay. I believe you said he was the eighth all time highest goal scorer in Serie A, right? Yeah. He's eighth with 200 in seventh with 208, Roberto Baggio in sixth with 209, Antonio Di Natale. And in fifth with 216 is Jose Altafini. In fourth with 216 is Giuseppe Meazza. In third with 225 is Gunnar Nordal. In second with 250 is Francesco Totti. And in first with 274 is Silvio Piola. Yeah, um, he's had a fantastic career, of course, his youth career with Sorrento before moving to Juventus and making his pro debut over there. He spent some time in Serie B. The interesting thing is his time in Serie A hasn't been the longest, you know, compared to most players. Um, he spent up until 2012 in Serie B. Then he played for Genoa and Torino, where he bagged quite a few goals. He made a name for himself, especially at Torino, before Borussia Dortmund swooped in for him. And he spent between 2014 to 2016 at Borussia Dortmund before being loaned out 
to Sevilla and then in 2016 making a return to Torino before being snatched up by Lazio that very same year where he really became a legend. Yeah, that that is the that to be honest, he found success at Torino, so on and so forth before. But Lazio is the first team he 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 was really recognized for his talent at. I mm, believe. He, especially he was, at the highest level. Yeah, the highest level, absolutely. And um, it's also he's only played. He, he's gotten those two hundred goals in like three hundred and forty odd matches, man, <laughs> which is crazy. That that's a a crazy conversion rate for Immobile. Absolutely, man. I bet you he he sent Milinkovic Savic a thank you message recently, no? Yeah, yeah. Being like, hey, thanks, bro. Thanks for <laughs> setting me up for all those goals. Yeah. Yeah. Um, table. Lazio are currently in eighth with 37 points, while Cagliari are in 19th with 18 points. We spoke about Cagliari that are always capable of being smashed. So are Frosinone. Fiorentina beat them 5-1. Fiorentina were coming off a 3-2 loss to Lecce, remember. While Frosinone were coming off a 3-2 home loss to Milan. And the previous encounter was a 1-1 draw between these two sides. The Viola's form crumbled in recent weeks with one point from four rounds plus a heavy Supercoppa Italiana semi-final defeat to Napoli. Ranieri was suspended while Parisi joined Castrovilli, Dodo and Kwame on the absentee list. The Canarini missed Bonifazi, Oyono, Marvin Cooney, um, Gadiemis, uh, Zortea, Luzwardi and Markitsa. It was a 4-2-3-1 formation for Fiorentina. Terracciano on goal, Biragi, Martinez Quarta, Milenkovic and Coyote at the back, Mandragor and Duncan in the pivot. Gonzalez out on the left, Icon out on the right, and Beltran behind Belotti, getting his first start over there. It was a 4-4-2 formation for Frosinone with Turati in goal, Gelli, Monterisi, Ocoli, and Valeri at the back, Sule on the right, Harui on the left, and Berenche and Mazzitelli playing alongside each other, with Dembasek and Caio Jorge up front. Now in the opening moments, just in the 11th minute, Beltran's header hit the crossbar. Um, in the 15th minute, Belotti opened the scoring. Icone did well to dribble past Ocoli and take the ball to the byline before squaring it to Belotti, who slotted in his first goal for La Viola in his first start. I believe you don't think Icone was meant to pass it to, Be- to Belotti. No, I think he tried to play it to Mandragora, bro. There. I you see where his it. foot was going and where the ball went. I don't blame you for yeah, thinking that. I, I don't know, man. There, <laughs> if only I could speak, sit down at a table with El Sharawi on my left and Icone on my right. <laughs> So I could just ask them if they meant to do what they did, man, this match day. Because honestly, I don't think so. Yeah, I think you have a type. In the 17th minute, Ikone got his, I believe, his first goal of the season. Um, his strike took a significant deflection off of, Ikone, off of Okoli and went into the back of the net, uh, completely bamboozling Turati, nothing he could have done about it. But Jorko immediately, just 17 minutes in, has a lucky assist and a lucky goal to his name. No, come on. He did, he did well um, to get that. In the 36 minute, Ikone once again broke through Frozenone's defense and squared it to a teammate. Um, but Nico failed to hit the target. It was a bad miss. And to be honest, by this point, Jorko was everything going forward for Fiorentina. In the 43rd minute, Biragi's corner was headed in off the crossbar by Quarta as goal line technology confirmed, albeit it was incredibly tight. 
54th minute, Nico scored. Uh, Duncan headed the ball to the part of Nico, who struck a volley into the top corner. Very, very well hit by him. Um, in the 66th minute, Mazzitelli got one back for Frosinone. Uh, his free kick took a big deflection off Milenkovic and hit the back of the net, sending Terracciano the wrong way. Um, and in the 85th minute, Barak got a scrappy goal, but it's his first in over a year. Turati was down and a defender attempted to clear the ball to safety with his head, only for it to hit Barak's head and go in. Um, what I also want to point out is that Caio Giorgio missed two very, very clear-cut chances where he was unmarked. He had one in the 70th minute that was saved by Terracciano, it was a free header, and one in the 55th minute... Um, where Quarta gifted the ball to Caio George um, at the back, but Terracciano, to be honest, did well to deny him. Bro, this was absolute annihilation. Yes. Abs- and it felt like a, a celebration for, for Fiorentina from the get-go. Um, Bellotti hit the ground running. Yeah. You know, that's a striker who fits the system, man. That, that, I think so, man. That makes perfect sense because he's a beast in the box, but he's also dependable outside it. You know, you look at Beltran and Inzola, if you could merge them into one player, you'd have the perfect, <laughs> you'd have the perfect Fiorentina <laughs> striker. But unfortunately, they both lack something um, that Andrea Bellotti, to be honest, might be able to give them to offer because Belotti mm-hmm. can hustle, he can get dirty, he can grind in the box, he can put his head where most people won't even put their feet. Um, and he's also pretty fucking good in the build-up play as well. You know, he actually excels there, in my opinion, um, playing him the ball at the halfway line. His hold-up play is top-notch. Um, yeah. When it comes to Minzola, you know, counter-attacking striker and Beltran, as we have mentioned before, is more of a 10. Mm-hmm. Um, before this, Fiorentina in all competitions... Um, they lost to Lecce, they lost to Inter, they lost to Napoli, they drew to Udinese, they drew to Bologna, um, and they lost to Sassuolo. Those were their last one, two, three, four, five, six games before this, where they didn't have a single victory. Mm-hmm. Um, now they played against Frosinone, who if you hit the ground running <laughs> against them, it could be a, a free-flowing kind of thing and like you said it was almost like a celebration you know Econe on the score sheet Barak Belotti who just came in Nico Gonzalez with a great goal Quarta Quarta reminding us he's a goal scoring centre back yeah so it it, it was almost like this was very important for Fiorentina they needed a fucking break they they needed a a big victory to give their players confidence especially players like Barak players like Econe Belotti who just came in and now, again, they're going to have quite a few tough run-ins. So tomorrow they play against Bologna away from home in what is quite a derby in itself. Just four days later, they have another derby away to Nicolas Empoli. Which obviously I put Nicolas before Empoli to make it seem like a tougher game than it actually is. Because Empoli have been, have been very good under Nicola. Um, after that, they play Lazio. And then after that, they play Torino and Roma and then Atalanta and then Milan. You know what I mean? And then Juve after yeah. that. So I don't know. I don't I don't think it's going to get much, much better. I think they should enjoy and savor this victory as much as they can. Yeah, I mean, they definitely needed the confidence boost. 
Yeah. So sometimes this is what you need, the smashing. No, the only problem for them is that their direct opponent for for its spot or one of the direct opponents for that's for its spot, um, Bologna, and did the exact same thing. Yeah. You know, they also um, exploded this match day. Um. Yeah, I, I almost forgot where, what um, Fiorentina were capable of. And I think the striker change can, can make all the difference for them. Yeah, it, pr- probably. Um, however, like like I said, bro, I'm just looking at these fixtures that they're playing and I really don't see Fiorentina getting much out of most of these games. I mean, no, it's, it's, it's going to be tough for them. I mean, they'll put up a fight in them, but how many, as to how many points they'll collect... I don't know. And um, do you think let's let's discuss this because this is essentially the question here. Do you think that they'll go for that conference league spot? Do you think they'll end up getting that conference league spot, or do you think they'll finally take that next step to the Europa League? I mean, after every after the rainfall, what comes is the rainbow. So <laughs> if, if they're playing all these tough games after each other, you know, after that. It's like, oh, thank fuck. We have some of the easier ones now. And and they are they are a strong side. And they have been improving from season to season. Mm. Now, let me pull up the standings and have a jolly good look at this. Okay. <laughs> Fiorentina in seventh. Oh, my God. I Remember, don't... eighth might get Conference League. <laughs> if eighth get Conference League, then they can do it. I don't see Fiorentina. I I don't see Fiorentina getting Europa League. Man, that's I don't see so tight. Look at sixth Roma with thirty eight, seventh Fiorentina thirty seven, eighth Lazio thirty seven, ninth Napoli thirty five. Are you kidding me? That's mental, bro. Yeah, I don't think Fiorentina will get Europa League. There, conference. Boom. So conference of its eighth. Conference of its eighth. If it's eighth, they will. I'm almost certain. That's fair enough, man. I'm looking at this, and it's uh, this is the toughest year for them, for sure. Bro, they could fucking finish ninth. <laughs> what the hell is this league, man? Bologna in fifth. Wild. You know what I this mean? Roma in sixth. Lazio eighth. Napoli ninth. There's so much talent in this. We call it a top seven. Isn't that a top nine, bro? Right there. How is that not a top <laughs> the nine? nine sisters? The, the <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to the standings, Fiorentina are in seventh on thirty-seven points. I saw the way down frozen on M 14th on 23 points. So it's a question of are Fiorentina going to get any European football? And on the other hand, are frozen on going to remain in Serie A? I mm. believe um, no and no. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Bologna, before they smashed Lecce 4 nil this match day, um, they had Skorupski in goal. They had a 4-1-4-1 formation with Posh on the right, Christensen on the left. Belkem and Calafuri as a centre-back partnership with Remo Freule playing in that midfield hole himself with Ricardo Orsolini slash Orsonaldinho playing on the right. <laughs> Alexis Salamakers on the left. Fabian and Ferguson playing behind Joshua Zergzi. For Lecce, it was a usual 4-3-3 formation with Falcone and goal, Gallo on the left, Venuti on the right, with Baskerot and Pongratrich as a centre-back partnership, with Udin Ramadani and Kaba playing as a centre-midfield trio, with Banda on the left, Almqvist on the right, and Kristovic up front. Quick one. Yellow and red kits are my least favourite in the world. Why? Just aesthetically? Aesthetically. 
It reminds me of Birkir Kara, bro. Birkir Kara with the McDonald's logo, you know, with the McDonald's sponsor. I think it's, I think it's. But that also reminds me of Mikkoli, which I like. It's a warm feeling. Yeah. Yeah, but for those of you that know that don't know, Mikkoli played for Breaker Kara because typically if you think of Mikkoli, you think of pink. Yeah, but we think of the the lecture colors, funnily yeah. enough. <laughs> but anyway, Bologna um, started the game pretty much from the get-go in a dominant way and just four minutes into the game, Belkama scored the opening goal after Falcone parried a close-range shot from Zergzi into his pot. Despite Bologna's control, Lecce had a brief resurgence after 20 minutes with Skorupski making crucial saves. However, Lecce missed key opportunities, um, including a chance shocker for Kristovic. In the fourth minute, Bologna capitalized on Lecce's missed chances. They extended their lead to 2-0 with a powerful shot from Orsolini. Um, man, that guy can hit it. Yep. He found the net after a short back pass. Mm-hmm. The second half mirrored the first as Bologna scored again after four minutes. This time it was Orsolini delivering a sublime goal. A powerful curler with his left foot. Um, Bologna controlled the game in the second half. Um, they went into damage limitation mode as Lecce struggled. They made substitutions. They took out Zergzi, they took out Orsolini. You know, they were resting their, their key players. Bologna, of course, um, faced a big setback, setback towards the end of the game when Calafiori got injured. I'm not quite sure on the updates on Calafiori at the moment, but that did leave them with 10 men. Um, you would think that Lecture might score um, while they're down with 10 men, but no, they managed to score a fourth goal through debutant Jens Odgaard, um, who got the ball on the halfway line, had a lot to do, man. He had so much time to think before he finished the mm-hmm. game. You know, like God knows what was going through his head. Like, I'm going to score my first goal for Bologna. I'm, I am going to score my first goal for Bologna, you know. <laughs> God but forbid that that's what goes through yeah. their mind, man. Yeah, they probably be a man. mess. <laughs> oh, you I'm, I'm not finding anything on Calafiori's injury. Now, hopefully he's fine. He, it looked pretty serious at the time. He looked to be in a world of pain. Mm. But according to recent reports, um, he should be taking tests in the coming days and he will Good probably luck. be missing the the next game, yes. This is his annuals or his mid-yearlies? These are his O-levels. These are his O-levels, yeah, okay. Good tool. luck. Baskirata, bro, lost the ball on that last goal. Man, this season he's been a little bit disappointing, hasn't he, after his breakthrough season last year? Uh-huh, uh-huh. I, I think that's... You know, when when a player ha- bursts onto the scene in that manner, you know, oftentimes I, I, I think that it's just that they're on such a supreme run of form. Um, like if somebody would have bought Baskerotto for 20 million, I, I would have laughed in their faces. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, there isn't enough tape on him, right? Yeah, ex- exactly, exactly. It's, it's obvious that he is dangerous in the air and, and he's good at that. But... With the ball at his feet, or or when he's defending somebody that's running at him, I don't rate him too much hmm, hmm. in those scenarios. Yeah, no, honestly, um, this season definitely not. Last year, he was fucking great. Eh? I don't know. Um, I don't know if this is a result of maybe not having the cool, calm, composed Umtiti next to him, because mm. having Umtiti next to you, um, an experienced world beater like Umtiti mm. is, is very different to having Marin Pongracic who apparently isn't the easiest person to work with yeah yeah um so that might also play a part in it as well um but yeah I do think that maybe he was riding a good wave of form he was um 
he was peaking and we'll see we'll mm-hmm. see how he does because he's not old he's, he's on the wrong side of 20 granted but he's still got some time left in his position to to really become a staple in Serie yeah yeah absolutely agreed yeah, and um, there isn't much else to say about this game apart from the fact that Bologna absolutely decimated Lecce and picked them apart um, with high pressing and just more quality, man. They just had so much more quality than the other team. Um, Bologna are currently in fifth with 39 points, while Lecce are in 13th with 24 points. So there was Milan-Napoli this weekend. There, there was Roma Inter, but what game were we waiting for all week? What Friday night fucking thriller were we waiting for? Salernitana Empoli, 19th against 20th. Salernitana 1, Empoli 3 was the final result. Salernitana were coming off a nil-nil away draw to Torino, whilst Empoli were coming off a nil-nil home draw to Genoa. So this game has firecracker written all over it. The previous encounter was a 1-0 victory for Empoli. Now, after this result, after Salernitana's home loss to Empoli, Pippo Anzaghi was sacked and replaced by Leverani. I repeat, breaking news, Pippo Anzaghi has been sacked and replaced by Liverani. Some of you may be asking, who is Liverani? Well, I will tell you. Liverani is a former player as well, who became a manager. Yes, as a former midfielder. As a midfielder, yes. He played for the likes of Fiorentina, Palermo, Lazio, Perugia, etc., etc. He has 394 professional games. Um, he has also had three appearances for Italy between 2001 and 2006. Now, his managerial career saw him managing Genoa, Leighton Orient, Ternana, Lecce, Parma, Cagliari, and Salernitana. He's kind of been... He's got he's got this reputation of a manager who will save you from the drop. And that mm. is that is what all these teams are kind of going for now. Of course, Empoli getting the best of the lot in, um, in David and Nicola. Um, the options for Salernitana were probably between Liverani and... Uh, what's his name again, bro? The guy with the hat. Bal- uh, Ballardini, 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 yes. I was going to say Baldanzi, man, that's crazy. But they did go um, for for Liverani. Now, Liverani's record is not nothing crazy. He's more there to steady the ship, a bit of an experienced manager. I was confused by the Inzaghi appointment from the get-go, yeah. as we discussed on the podcast. Why bring in a manager who has never actually done anything in Serie A? Who's won Serie B, granted, who does well in Serie B, but doesn't have much experience in Serie A. And then they don't even give him time. I, I don't know, man. Um, he took it really badly, the sacking in Zaghi. He posted on Instagram. Hilarious, right? In Z- Philip Zaghi posted on Instagram. Anyway, um, he posted on Instagram saying that um, he had really fallen in love with Salerno and that he, the club has a special place in his heart and that he feels like his head was chopped off before he could get the job done essentially so he wanted more time right which granted january signings coming the team had been playing well but this game was a disappointment this game was was set up totally incorrectly empoli were much better than salernitana throughout the whole game and i was very disappointed by salernitana bro Aha, uh-huh, so a bit of uh, like domination by Empoli. And it just showed that they're in very different stages of their project. On one hand, you've got David and Nicola getting the best over his exile, just joining Empoli and giving them this new life, this new oomph, and this new 
life this new oomph that they haven't gotten through Pippo and Zagi. So it only made sense if you can't win, if you're 20th and you can't win at home to 19th, out. I'm afraid yeah. that's as simple as it is. And they hadn't gotten a victory in so long and this was their opportunity. So yeah. Salernitana started four of their January signings, include, including uh, Jerome Boateng, Marco Pellegrino, who had a fucking shocker in this game, by the way. <laughs> um, and Pierozzi and Zanoli also started. Zanoli obviously getting an own goal. So, tough start for these new players. Um, on the other hand, the visitors had Valukovic suspended, Caputo, Marin and Ebuehi not fully fit. Salernitana started with a 3-4-2-1 formation with Ochoa and goal and the backline of Pellegrino, Boateng and Pierozzi, a totally new back three over there. Braderic on the left, Zanoli on the right and a midfield two of Basic and Maggiore with Castanos and Candreva playing behind Bulaye, Dia, Ficoa. <laughs> On the other hand, also a 3-4-2-1 formation for Davide Nicolas, men, Empoli, of course, not Salernitana, don't get confused. Caprile <laughs> and goal, backline of Berezinski, Ismaili and Luperto, Giassi on the right, Kakaccio on the left, and the midfield two of Male and Grassi, with Zurkowski and Cambiaghi playing behind Cherry. Oh, is Cherry split in two? I thought he was at Juve. Wrong Cherry, they're both big strikers, though. Mm-hmm. And I thought they were related for a sec. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, when I saw Cherry six foot six striker up front, you know, I'm like, ah, oh, that's uncanny. Literally. Now, in the 24th minute, uh, Empoli opened the scoring quite quickly. It was Cambiaghi's in swinging cross that caught the head of Zanoli and looped over Ochoa and into the back of the net. Very unfortunate for Zanoli, who put his body in, in, in front of the ball over there. Then it was in God's hands, and, you know, God was a cruel, cruel man on this day. Um, in the 37th minute, Dia almost equalized as he squeezed a shot on the turn which scraped the outside of the post. And in the 44th minute, Caprile pulled off a stunning save to deny, to deny a Castanos volley, flying to the top corner and firmly striking the ball away in a flash. This was an excellent save by Caprile, save of the week for sure. In the 68th minute, Salernitana equalized through Wiesmann, another new signing. Candreva's mm-hmm. deep cross found Wiesmann perfectly, who headed past Caprile on his debut. Brilliant stuff. In the meantime, Nyang came on for Empoli and he opened his account from the spot in the 87th minute, sending Ochoa the wrong way skillfully. The penalty was won after Fazzini broke forward and, bar- and was completely barged down by Pellegrino in the area. It was like a rugby tackle. Um, Cancelleri was ready to take the penalty as mm. the rigorista of the team, but Nyang just kept fucking <laughs> insisting. He was, he was so, so annoying. annoying, so annoying there, man. He didn't so stop. He wouldn't move. Like, I'm not going to move. I'm not going to move. You're not going to give it to me. Did you play for Milan? You didn't play for Milan. I played for Milan. He took it really well. He took it really well. He converted very And then he got an assist at the end as well. So I think, was it to Cancelleri, the assist... Yes, thank you very much. Um, it was so first Pellegrino gave the ball away and Nyang took the ball country and then he played it through to Cancilleri, who ended up running towards goal with Pirola defending, but not for long, as a quick shimmy sent Pirola to the ground and Cancilleri cleanly finished taking his time to do so, um getting his goal um after generously giving his penalty to Nyang instead of punching him in the fucking face. <laughs> so Yes, clearly Empoli 
worlds ahead of Salernitana project-wise this season in their quest for survival. Do you think Inzaghi shot himself in the foot a little bit by starting those four new signings, a completely new back three, and Zanoli on the right over there as well? Um, that's a that's a very good point, bro. Um, I mean, I, I'm not really sure he had any options Um the current well no man you know what to be honest the starting 11 that he had been deploying had play, had been playing alright had to been be playing fair, recently Fazio Gyomber and Pasalidis were injured well so that means that Boateng should have started but that's pretty much it yeah yeah but yeah, yeah um, Zanoli you know what you're getting he probably thought you know an offensive outlet mm-hmm. you know um, but again young not much experience same um, as Pellegrino. Same as Pellegrino, same as Pierozzi. Mm-hmm. So maybe uh, you're probably right in, in saying that this result, it's not a coincidence that this result, that this performance, sorry, was their worst one of their past five games. Mm-hmm. Because they probably, they threw in five new players, four new players, what, into the starting 11. You can't do that. Eh? You need to introduce them slowly. No. You know? no start, with, think... start with the guys who have built the system that you're, mm-hmm. that you're deploying. And how good are Empoli at moving the ball? In the sense that I don't want to overrate them. You know, they're still a team that are battling relegation. But the difference to me between these two teams was they both defend. You know what I mean? They, they, they're both capable of putting 11 men behind the ball and playing a pragmatic style of football. Um, but Empoli, to score three against Salernitana away from home, shows that they're... Goal-scoring prowess under Nicola has really, really improved. This was the same team that in the opening seven or something games One didn't score zero. a fucking single goal yeah, like. yeah, yeah, yeah. so this really shows massive growth for them absolutely absolutely man um empoli do look um like a like one of the better sides in the in that relegation battle right now with nicola mm-hmm. yeah i i honestly at, at the moment now i know it's early stages of new management but at the moment I, I see them as much better than the other teams that are battling relegation at the moment I see them better than Frosinone I see them better than Verona better than Cagliari better than Salernitana we'll yeah. see how they do in games moving forward against tougher opponents but this is the same side that forced a draw out of Juve as well True. sending them on a fucking spiral they're currently now as we speak in 16th on 21 points, just two ahead of Verona, so relax. While Salernitana, dead last, 13 points, Cagliari being five points ahead of them. And if Cagliari are five points ahead of you, you're in trouble. Spoiler alert, Davide Nicola keeps them up, gets sacked seven games into next season and disappears into the shadows only to come back the next time a team is facing relegation. Yes, sir. So, yes, um, I have one more game and it's... Sassuolo 1 Torino 1 so Sassuolo started with their 4-2-3-1 formation with Consigli in goal Pedersen on the right Doig on the left with Viti and Erlich at the back Henrique and Lepani were the midfield double pivot with Bayrami on the right Lauriente on the left and Torzvet playing behind Pinamonti it was a where thing. is Berardi 
<laughs> Where is Berardi? I believe he is injured. Um, I'll read out the Torino lineup in the meantime. Okay. It was a 3-4-3 for Torino with Milinkovic Savic in goal, Ricardo Rodriguez, Lovato, and Gigi at the back. In case I forget to mention, Ricardo Rodriguez did suffer an injury this game. Valentino Lazaro was on the left, Bellanova was on the right, Ilic and Tamezi were in the middle with Duvan, Zapata, and Sanabria playing up front with Vlasic. Sassuolo ended their losing streak essentially with a 1-1 draw as disappointing as it looks originally. Um, they they had been on a three-match losing streak and um, they... This is... Okay, I'm going to I'm gonna word this differently, bro. A, a 1-1 draw that would be seen as a negative for both teams in usual circumstances mm. can be seen as a positive for both because Sassuolo... And their losing streak, and Torino extend their unbeaten run <laughs> to <laughs> five games. Literally. So you know what? Win-win this game. Literally. This is the biscotto, as they call it in, in <laughs> Italian. No, when both teams share the spoils in a, in a yeah. game instead of taking points off each other. Yeah. Sassuolo um, scored first through Penamonti within the opening five minutes, and it was a powerful header by uh, by the big moody Italian. <laughs> Shortly, Duvan Zapata um, equalized for Torino before the 10-minute mark. Um, this was courtesy of a brilliant Raul Bellanova assist. Raul Bellanova has really been incredible for Torino since joining. One of their best players, man. Yeah. Zapata and Vlasic had opportunities to take the lead, but their shots missed the target. And the second half um, eventually became a weird end-to-end affair where both teams adopted a very direct approach. Mm-hmm. In the final 20 minutes, Sassuolo dominated and Milinkovic Savic made a very good save on Armand Loriente to deny him. Um, controversy arose late into the game when Matteo Lovato avoided a second yellow card for a cynical foul. Looked like it could have been a red card on yeah. that one. Um, yeah. Quite quite um, lucky to get away with it. Mm-hmm. Gregoire Defel, Defrel had a late attempt for Sassuolo. He missed the target, of course, and the match ended 1-1. Yeah. Just to yeah. answer our previous query, Berardi, Volpato, Tolian, Boloca and Obiang all injured. Yes, Torino also had Bongiorno, Linetti and Shores injured as well. Yeah, Shores, huh, bro? Sure is. Your new Fanta culture. I fucking had no idea he was injured, bro. <laughs> I was also mediating the entire Fanta thing. I was stressed. I was like, oh, sure, sure, fuck it. You called him out. The silence must have made your heart skip a beat or two. Literally, literally. But whatever, go, I'm, I'm first. Sure is one. <laughs> no one says anything. First in every single Fanta I'm participating in. That's good, man. That's good. But the season is long, huh? Season is long. And Fennec Bach are all the way down in eighth. <laughs> so, watch your back, brother. Yeah. Speaking of down, um, Sassuolo are in 17th place. With 20 points. Um, this win actually took them out of the relegation pool. As they would have been below Verona. Because they have a worse goal difference than Hellas Verona. Madonna. Sassuolo, fun fact. It's awful. It's That's awful. Honestly. Terrible. When do they sack their manager, bro? I don't when, know at this point. When... Like what? What more needs to happen for I'm, them to I'm sack their manager? By it because Dionisi had a very promising start, but things have stagnated. For me, this game was between two managers, man, who have stagnated. If there are two managers who have spent too long at the same club without any results, it's these two, man. I agree. Dionisi and Juric, and Juric is very talented. He's Scuola Gasperini. Mm-hmm. Um, a fantastic tactician would love to see him elsewhere to be honest see what he could do 
Uh, but Sassuolo, man, and the, the Dionisi Sassuolo relationship, I think, has, is fizzling out. I think he took over from Deserbi, who had laid these in, this incredible foundation. I feel like the the further we get from the Deserbi era, the worse Sassuolo gets. It's like Dionisi yeah. isn't stamping his own philosophy on the team. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's harsh, but look at them. They're they're, they're regressing to they're a re- point exactly. where relegation is on the table. Absolutely. You were saying, sorry, Sassuolo in... As a swallow, yes, are in 17th with 20 points. One point outside of the relegation pool and Torino are in 10th with 33 points. Perfect. The final game that is going to be very briefly covered is Monza nil, Verona nil. Monza were coming off another nil-nil draw away to Udinese. Guess what the problem with Monza is? They're struggling to score. Verona coming off a 2-1 away loss to Napoli and the previous encounter between these two sides was Verona 1, Monza 3. Now, I thought that this match was full of scrappy attempts by both sides who clearly struggle to create clear-cut chances. If you were to look at the quality of the chances that were created, they were very minimal. There was a lot of Andrea Colpani trying to create something out of nothing um, for Monza, whilst Verona, you know, they they also significantly struggled um, to create any chances. They started new boys, Widerski, um, who Jake has been raving about over the the past two episodes. He struggled this game to make um, Mm. an impact, but to be honest, so did the rest of his teammates. He was isolated, to be fair. I thought Folorunshaw looked quite good and and he was probably the highlight of Verona's performances. However, it's hard to to highlight an outstanding performer from each side when they both managed 11 and 10 shots but only one was on target. Um, So very scrappy affair between these two teams. I'm very disappointed in the way Colombo unfortunately has been performing for Uh Monza. Yes, he's been doing this while he's been out on loan. He has... He has periods of promise mm-hmm. where he plays very well and then he stagnates towards the end of the season. He did this at Spal where yeah. in, in like 10 games or 12 games, something like that, he scored six goals and then went invisible to the rest mm-hmm. of the season. He did that Lecce. He did that Lecce and now he's doing the same thing at um, at Monza. Milan have actually um, explored the idea of including him in certain deals and they do... Uh, we do often see articles which say Colombo, which include Colombo's name in a potential swap deal, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I believe the last time we saw that was a couple of weeks ago in January. So you're absolutely right. Uh, when it comes to the standings, Monza are in 11th place on 30 points, whilst Hellas Verona find themselves in 18th on 19 points, just one point from safety. So that's all we have time for, guys. Thank you very much for listening if you've made it this far, and we'll see you next week.